Welcome to another episode of The Paragon Path. This is episode four, The Elusive Druids. We have with us three fantastic guests. We have Cads, Teflon, and Kumo. They'll explain to you more about a little bit of their histories and what they did in the game. This one is pretty long. We'll have uh, time frames in the comments or the descriptions that you can find the locations and the questions that you want answered and skip the stuff that you don't. Um, about the last hour is a lot more theory crafting and game mechanic talk. If you don't want to join us for that, feel free to skip it. Otherwise, enjoy. Thank you guys for joining us for episode four of the Paragon Path. Uh, I've decided to name this one the Elusive Druids because I like internal rhymes and um, I thought it sounded cool. So this is episode four of the Paragon Path, Elusive Druids. We have uh, three fantastic guests with us today. I'm going to have them all introduce themselves, starting with Cads, who is above me on my video. Hello, I'm Cads. Uh, you might remember me from the Paragon Paladin video. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be um, on more, believe me. Full, oh, yes, I'll be on more. Uh, full, full name and title is Marquis Cadillard Hartsanaman. I play, played fairly heavily um, Druid and Wizard and Paladin and <laughs> all sorts of things throughout, throughout my career. So I'll be providing insight not only for Druid, but how it compares with other classes. Let's go over to Kumo. Hi everybody, my name is Kumo. Uh, my full uh, thing is Viscountist Kumo Gatekeeper. Uh, the majority of my time uh, well, for getting uh, playing Druid is uh, was around between 2015 to 2016, 17 and 18. I moved, started moving to other classes, but I'm moving back more into Druid now. And, yep. Cool. And Teflon. Hey, I get everyone. I'm a Teflon Frosthammer. I'm out of Winter's Edge. I don't even remember what titles and stuff I've got. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been in the game for quite some time and played Druid through several different editions, and it's really just my favorite class in general. Awesome. All right. So, starting off, as all of our episodes, we want to set a rubric for what we think a paragon should be, what the difference is between you know a good paragon or, or a good level six Druid or even just a basic level six druid to what a paragon is. So in your guys' opinion, what is your rubric for what makes a paragon over a level six? Anyone can start, by the way. Just start talking. My honest opinion, it'd probably have to go with application of knowledge. Uh, basically, basically the concept of you understand the, the core of what your abilities are what concept you're trying to apply to for whether whatever archetype you're using or even no archetype and then at the application of that archetype so for example if you're going with the summoner route uh how many syllables you can get out uh in order to get your enchantments onto the people you need to or in the case of say an avatar of nature druid your ability to not only enchant yourself, but also use abilities available to you to maintain a good battlefield superiority as a fighter. Ranger, generally, if you're going bow, you can shoot thing good. <laughs> uh, the other two, you guys? I'll go next. Um, so, a good comparison would be an MMORPG when you're talking about a what's the difference between a level 6 and a paragon. Um, a level six would be something like 
you just hit 60 on, you know, original World of Warcraft or whatever max level is. And in some cases, what a lot of people will tell you, a lot of veterans of those games would tell you, is that once you hit 60, your journey doesn't is not ended. It is, in fact, just begun. There's a lot of stuff you need to do in order to actually explore the rest of the game. And the same goes for Paragon. Um, at level six, at level six, you pr pretty much unlock the full functionality of your class. The next step is to master it. And in my opinion, a Paragon covers a lot of different things. There's the the most important aspect is skill. How do you, are you dominant on the field? On, and it's a kingdom level award, so you have to be dominant on a the kingdom level. <laughs> the, the, the other thing is how much uh, style do you portray? Do, do you really, do you try hard with your garb? Because you should, if you're going for Paragon. Um, the And the other thing, the the last thing, which is the most important, but you need to do the previous two things before you can do this, is teaching other players. Do you do you impart your knowledge onto other players, the things that you have learned, to help them reach the level that you are? So those, I think, are the three big things that make Paragonhood. Teflon. Yeah, I pretty much agree for the most part. Um, the big thing for me is. Uh... I want to see your character uh, or your druid um, as in your garb and like to some degree role play or something like that as well. Um, I want to see you knowledgeable in meta builds only not that you have to run them all the time or anything. I just want to see that you understand them and why they are a meta build basically. And then if you are not running a meta build, then kind of see that you're filling an either a new niche or um using your abilities to kind of mimic another one like druid literally can just about mimic every other class almost um directly almost directly so i want to see what you're doing and if you're and, and make sure that you're doing it well um but i don't i don't have to see that you're absolute top of your game uh, top of the game as far as as the uh uh the class yourself uh it is not my like big check mark i want to see that you're um, you're honorable. I want to see that you are portraying your class or your your character through the class uh, very well as the top two things for me. Uh, and then the third one would be willingness to teach. And then it's the battlefield skill for me because I think that the the battlefield skill will show up um, if you can do the other three things really well. Uh, so that's just kind of my personal take on it. It's a it's a good point. The the teaching aspect of it is something that we everyone's hit on the. Um, and all of our past Paragon panels have also hit on it. And it comes, I think it comes full circle into the battle skill. Cause if you teach something, you know it better. If you can know it better, you know how to fix it or make it better. And it's just that continuous cycle. At some point you've got to start teaching and that teaching is going to make you better. It's, it's kind of a, a fact that we have to live with as Paragons or anybody progressing in amp guard. You've got to learn that you can only go so far by you know power gaming this is not a solo game by the way in case anybody was thinking that <laughs> yeah. this is very different um i'll so, add some yeah yeah I, i'd like to add something to that and that's um by teaching you're kind of putting in words and definitions and um you're kind of adding some self-realization of what you do why and why you do it like you're saying i'm going to use this ability on this person 
in this scenario. And you might not have consciously realized that until you start teaching. And that's one of the ways that teaching can make you better, not just the person that you're teaching. 100%. Yeah, you make some realizations, you fix. Like, uh, for a long time, I was doing... um, I'm a Paragon Bard, so Druid is a, a fun thing off to the side that I don't pay attention to for the most part unless they need to give me Gollum or a tune um but I was doing uh I was using awe and insult separately until I started talking and teaching Balder my man at arms and he's my man I'm his man at arms we have a weird cycle because we can mecha just destroy some trees um (laughs) we started realizing like oh you can just combo stuff together way better and it makes a big difference and it it wasn't until we started you know talking and actively teaching each other stuff like that so it's a good practice and it's good to make sure that uh your logic is sound because there's a couple times i think everyone here has probably like thought something and then said it out loud and went like that's not great oh absolutely (laughs) like this will work no it doesn't um with that rubric out of the way, we're going to go back to the beginning. What are uh, three things that you guys wish you knew either at the beginning of playing Druid or when you started your Paragon path um, about Druid? What are three things that you really think any player that's playing Druid should know um, or the even those that are trying their Paragon path, trying to get the, that sash? I was going to say belt, but it's a sash. So... I don't know if my answer to this question will help a lot of people because when I started my Paragon path to Druid, we were on version six of the rules. And of all the classes that are in the game right now, I think Druid has changed the most Um, because it always had very similar enchantments, but now, but before it was kind of, it didn't have as much of an niche as it did uh, today. And I really became an, a paragon like i really mastered the druid as it was in v7 of the rules and one of the things i would tell people is um like a lot of people a lot of people considered druid back then as the weakest caster and i vehemently disagreed with them it was in my opinion it was the best caster at the time um you would have uh petrify balls <laughs> that would work m- picture them like ice balls nowadays only they lasted a week instead of 60 <laughs> seconds. They would last infinitely um, until you either took a death or, or got released. Or if you got healed, then they would turn into ice balls. So <laughs> They were effectively Sphere of Annihilation everywhere I played, basically. Yeah, so yeah, they were better yeah. than. <laughs> I'm yeah, thinking of so, these ramifications, and they are just wild. Yeah, oh, yeah. Dude, it was there a whole other animal. They were a staple spell. But I think nowadays, um, what would really help with with uh, Druid is that hey, if you don't know what you want to play, you know, but and you don't mind playing something somewhat complicated, play Druid because it can adapt. <laughs> you can make an assassin version of Druid. You can make a scout version of Druid. You can make an archer version of Druid. In fact, um, and I'll cover this later. One of my friend, one of my good friends, who's the best bowman I've ever seen, who best with a bow ever. He started the game, he played Archer just because he's really good with a bow. He plays Druid now because Druid's ridiculous. He, uh, talking about, I'm going to mess up his name and I always do it, um, Dyer. 
Yeah, um, Dyer Barker, yeah. Hogman. He has got one of the fastest shots I've ever seen. And uh, after Keep last year, when Q-Ball, who's one of our knights up here, decided to make a lot of people buy bows and make a team of 40 people with only bows, um, <laughs> I started running Hogman's list for Druid because it's just genius. Uh, we'll talk it's about bonkers. that later. It is great. <laughs> Holy crap. Like oh you size. have you have pro you have pro, pro projectile oh that sucks I can't shoot you blah that the spell yeah just <laughs> straight up it's it's great we'll talk about that in a little bit because it's it's probably one of the most fun times I've had not paying attention because it's you're just looking for strips and once you see one you get them and you go it's great um I, I, did we interrupt you Denny on your three things or was that, were those your three things. Those are pretty much my three things. Okay, okay. So, uh, Teflon and Kuma, what are three things you wish you knew at the beginning? Um, one one of the main things for me, at, one of the main things for me at least, would be early on, I was very uh, eggs in one basket kind of an individual. Um, and basically like, all right, so here's my list. I'm going to have basically six times to make someone a golem with the kit it was actually four but you know and if someone if that person got dispelled i'd give it to them again and if i was and basically if they got dispelled four times i was basically out of the fight um when i was when i was younger uh my i think i would have done better if i learned you know kind of obviously you know if you want to have that one egg in one basket sure but don't just spread it out a little bit um, I guess for me, another thing would probably be more so taking time to improve your stick. Cause even as just a, even as a summoner druid, and if you have just a single sword, it's very beneficial to just be able to get out there and maintain a presence on the field. Even if you're, you know, you blew your load, so to speak. And <laughs> otherwise I'm trying to think of one more. Uh, cardio is very good. Uh, speak it in order to get. Uh, you don't want to start running like twenty yards, and all of a sudden you're out of breath and you can't. Uh, you think you're Tech Nine when you're saying your spell incantations when really you're Iggy Azalea. <laughs> I like the pop culture reference. Yeah. Uh, I guess for me, uh, the three thing number one would be no one else really knows what your spells do other than you <laughs> that is as far as problem. the enchantments go. Yeah. So um, when you're practicing or uh, trying to, to get people to use your enchantments better, uh, try to use them on the same people or make sure you're really good at explaining the very basic core of that enchantment and what they're going to do with it. Um the other thing is to pay more attention to your objectives, because I think that actually is one of the differences between level six and, and Paragon as well that I've, I've forgotten, um, is that uh, know where you're supposed to be on the field versus what's happening with the objectives. You need to pay a lot of attention to that, because that will also make you separate from the pack as far as Paragon versus level six. Um, and I guess the third is uh, how to make enchantment strips that'll last because I hate going through <laughs> a billion strips and having to remake them. So making good strips that'll last is, is really good. Cause I play more of a summoner druid, uh, typically. So 
and it's uh i'm i'm spacing on who did it up here i think rune was one of the ones that was doing it where um they had a sash built with just a ton of buttons on it and all of their strips were buttonholed and you could just pull it through if you wanted to put on your wrist but then they just slap it right back on your vest it was sweet it was oh that's clever the whole thing it was beautiful um there's a similar thing with your spell balls that Vitalin did. Um, he's a paragon that we'll have on for wizards. He did linchpins for your spell balls. Um, so you could just pop them off real quick and then you'd have to kind of fiddle to get them back on. But then you just had quick release spell balls, essentially. Um, I think I put on here. Did I take equipment? No, I did put equipment still on here. Okay, so we'll talk about equipment a little later. But that is one of the spellcasters that needs to have like a sewing kit so you can make your strips and then make sure they stay together which is you know it's a lot cooler when you give someone a a strip that's got like actual sewing on it and maybe even like a symbol on it because you know they're going to give that back to you instead of you like tie a piece of t-shirt on their wrist it happens um cardio and the ability to spell cast quickly I think is something Kumo you mentioned it is something that every caster probably wants to pay attention to is your ability to say your spells fast but also being able to say your abilities when you're tired um depending on your druid play I think you might be you might have some cases like if you're playing a backline summoner druid you may not have to you know be able to spout off a spell real quick if you are tired but definitely that avatar nature I, I would be very surprised if you didn't have to like quick cast or quick mend some of your stuff on the front lines. Um, it's it's quite impressive when you guys pull that off. And like, I think I've seen it's Rorik. He's out of um, West March. He pulled off in Phoenix League. He got hit twice, recast lycanthropy on himself, and uh, added another enchantment, all while like just defending like he dropped his sword and he was just defending with his small shield it was very impressive and if you guys can do that i would give you a paragon immediately because that's <laughs> that's cool and really difficult especially coming from someone that does like i get combat caster and i can still fight you when i'm casting can't do that with any other class um <laughs> we had the three things okay any more points on the three things is there any other like tidbits that you guys would have loved to know at the beginning of your your paragon path um, one thing to do to train your incantations, there's like different levels of thing, of uh, techniques you can use. One is doing is of course practicing your incantations while driving. While you're driving around, practice your incantations. Um, but like you said, like you said, you not only need to know your spells, you need to be able to cast your spells while tired. And the best way to do that is to do cardio and practice your incantations while doing cardio. Like if you think about that. Like and you will stumble the the first time you do it the exact same way you'll stumble on the field while you're being chased and stuff like that. So that really does drill into your head. Like this is this is how you cast spells while on the field. Mm-hmm. Just I can imagine some of us just in the gym on the treadmill just <sighs> talk the force close to happy about the, just like rattling off a gym. It's as as you're on the treadmill in the gym just confusing people left and right. It's what we do. Um, yeah. All right. So we'll move on to our, where do you guys think Druid fits on the battlefield? Roles, positioning, a little <laughs> bit of meta. I, I'm a, this is going to go very wide because I'm, I'm already seeing you guys are like, yeah, it goes everywhere. <laughs> so 
I'll open this by saying something controversial. And I know you're thinking what you're thinking, me? Controversial? Yeah. <laughs> no way. So let's say that you're the type of gamer who likes to play optimally. Not like there's anything wrong with that. Like that's a lot, lot, lot why a lot of people are watching this. I have great news for you. By watching this video, you're being very efficient with your time because by watching the Paragon Druid video, you're also watching the Paragon Assassin, Paragon Archer, and Paragon Scout video. And the reason I'm saying that is that you can build build a Druid to be better, a better version of those classes. And I don't mean to attack anyone who likes those classes. They're really fun to play and they can be effective, but this is just one example. Suppose I want to make an Assassin Druid. I take, uh, I take two Swift Teleports and Stone Form. I have less forms of insubstantial than assassin, but the ones I do have are more quality. Swift teleport is bonkers compared to anything assassin has in his arsenal, and stone form is chargeable. And everything I just mentioned are just five total points in the druid list. You have 25 points left, 26 if you took to look the part. You can take icy blast, you can take ice balls, you can take armor, you can take a pole arm. If you take avatar of nature, you can armor yourself and poison that pole arm. Assassin doesn't get a pole arm. Assassin doesn't get ice balls. Assassin doesn't get icy blasts. They so you have the ma you can outdo assassin or at least match them in substantial, and then bring all this offensive stuff. I've heard assassin um, people who don't like assassin refer to it as a glass cannon that doesn't that forgot to bring the cannon. Druid remembered the cannon. <laughs> I. I it's hard to argue with that. I mean, most of our casters can make a melee class. The only class that I think is very difficult to replicate is warrior because of so many points of armor. But oh, absolutely. Every other class can be basically almost one for one or upped by a caster class of a, a similar type. And I'd also, I'd also argue paladin, but but that's because that's just another thing. Armor. <laughs> Four points of armor is hard to come by. I mean, especially when our enchantments max out at two. It's hard to be like, all right, I'm going to give you two points. And then when you're done with those two points, come back and I'll keep you right. That's taking time from them to come back and back and forth. Um, Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. The Druid is uh, amazing at replicating things. And I think Teflon, we're, I believe this is a story that was told on WAC, um, which if you guys don't know, is a podcast that Teflon's on. It's very good. Follow it. I'll post some links. Um, you talked about you played Druid exclusively for like a couple years and people thought you were playing different classes at the same time. Like they thought you were doing different things and you were just playing Druid with different styles. Yeah. So, um, there was a, a while where I was being used as one of my quote unquote NPCs. And I have a tradition of not really caring much for like the door and stuff like that, because I feel like you can do a lot with the classes that are already in the game and the, and the rules already provided. So all I do whenever I play monsters is I find a class and I do go, uh, well, this is like an orc shaman thing. So I'm going to play Druid. I'm just going to take like some water spell type looking things and some earth looking things and go with that. Right. Cause there's a billion different things in Druid. They can do all kinds of things with it. So I literally got my paragon from, uh, making people believe I was playing monster classes rather than Druid itself. And, and it was a little silly because like our, our circle was like, oh, I see him as a Paragon monster and not merely as a Druid. And one of my friends happened to be on the circle. was like, he's literally just playing Druid. Here's all his lists. He gave them to me. <laughs> <laughs> just replicating other monsters. That That's like the ultimate <laughs> finesse move. Just like, I'm yeah. better. Yeah. <laughs> that is That is awesome. 
Um, uh, Kuma, what are what are the places you think the druid fits on the battlefield? Um, pretty much just to add with what these two are saying, it pretty much has the versatility to be applied to just about everything. Uh, as Kaz said, he could be an even better assassin. The one, I'd say the one drawback with, say, doing a druid versus some of these primary classes is you kind of miss out on just a little bit of what those classes do. For example, Barbarian, you know, you you can replicate Barbarian pretty easily, obviously, with Lycanthropy, with Avatar of Nature and all that. You are getting that, it basically, it's kind of the opposite, however, you know, you're not getting potentially three points of armor, you're only getting those two points, it's not Ancestral. You are immune to death. No, wait. Immune to command, sorry. I've got the, uh, Lycanthropy is the hmm. one thing that makes, uh, bards use, like, terror and all that. Uh, <laughs> but the... You know, you get that immunity to command. You don't get immune to subduel, so it's kind of like, okay, you're getting half of it. And you get shield crushing, which is the flip of the Barbarian's Berserk. And some people would potentially argue that, that the shield crushing is actually better than the armor breaking. We can discuss that later. Uh, <laughs> but it it can pretty much fill every role as and ver be very close to what it is. Like, if, if you want to replicate Scout, you can do pretty well with, you know, you pick Ranger... I don't think we get... I'm, I'm trying to... It's been a good year since we've played Amp Guard. Yeah, thanks, uh, COVID. I'm trying to remember if we... I, I'm i trying to remember if we... I don't think we have anything equivalent to tracking in the Druid spell list. I don't so, think So, you know, you're missing... There is something similar in other casters, like, you know... Um, it's G release is the closest thing. That yeah. or... I mean, if, it, if we're... If it messes with someone in the insubstantial, you know, banish. Yeah, that would also do it. You know, kind of makes it, it's like, oh, I'm teleporting. Well, you're going to go home. <laughs> Bye. But like I said, it, so I'm, so pretty much as these guys are saying, it's, you're able to fill just about any role and you're pretty close to what the original role can do, but there is like one or two things missing just to keep you from, you know, always outshining the class. Yeah, making it so there's Except no Archer. reason to play well, anything else besides Druid at any point in time. Like, that'd be a legitimate yep. problem if that was true. <laughs> I mean, I legit think it is a problem the way Druid is, I, but... <laughs> I Sorry, Kuma. No, there's there's problems with everything. Yeah. The game's not perfect, well, guys. We're working on it. Right, right. Um... I guess for me, as far as the role is like, you can make a very generalized statement here is that I usually look at the, the role or, or, or where you fit on the battlefield is basically uh, frontline, midline or backline is just a generic outlook at it. And you can play Druid that fits all of them. Mm -hmm. um, frontline Druid could be um, a, uh, a avatar nature or something like that, right? Where you're armored up and you're going toe to toe everyone, but that doesn't mean that it has to be that, right? You can be a support druid where you're uh, mending and healing and uh, putting uh, enchantments and stuff like that on from the front line too, because people are still taking damage and everything. And if you're right next to him, like a pocket healer or something like that, then you still can affect the battlefield from up there, but not being uh, combat dominant, right? Uh, midfield is again kind of the support. Uh, in the aspect of, of like healing and uh, releasing and stuff like that. Uh, and then you could play, but I usually play the bow druid uh, or, or bow in general, actually closer to mid the front line rather than back line, but you can definitely do it as a back line thing too, or, or, or uh, flanks. Uh, and again, like all of these builds, um, you can pretty much 
as flanking builds as well. They work really well on flanks as well. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, you can be anywhere. You really can be anywhere. And in just about any kind of meta list, you can be pretty much everywhere. The only one would be Avatar Nature. It's not really a backline thing, but if they've got a lot of teleporting people or something like that, it can be too, right? You just have to be flexible. Yeah. Uh, and Druid lends itself to that flexibility. The only downfall I see in Druid's flexibility is that you have very few per lives and a lot more per refreshes, which brings down your uh, repeatability use. But your per refreshes last a lot longer than most people's. Like Terror, for example, on Bard lasts 30 seconds, where you might drop a Golem and that will never go away the whole game if people aren't paying attention. They should demag that yeah. if they're paying attention. <laughs> Yeah, talk about one thing that's not used a lot, and like Cads have said before, that you should be paying attention to for this one, is you pay attention to all the other classes too, is use Dispel Magic. Holy crap, guys. Like, it should be an everyday list that you're in. Everyone. And it's rechargeable for some of the classes, and so just, just put one of them in it, at least one. There are three <laughs> caster classes and one melee class that has, D, that has DMAG. It's rechargeable for Wizard. It can become rechargeable for Healer. And I believe Druid. I might be wrong on that. Is it level five for you guys? Uh, I can't remember off the top. Of my, I think it might be level five. Dru Druids go. I thought, was, I thought it was three. Is it oh, three? Maybe. I don't remember. Either way, ex like I said, experience yeah. like I said, it like if I said, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. If it's Dru level three, experience that thing. Like, well, we got naturalized yeah. magic too. Yeah. Like, it's naturalized is a big one. Yeah. 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 That's the, the biggest. Naturalizes. It's. I'd just say I'd argue naturalize is the bigger, the better option for in most cases. Oh man, the only games. the only problem is if you got another friend on the other team who's running naturalized magic, and it's a game of who gets to get <laughs> their naturalized magic though. So that's kind of an interesting thing to pay attention to. I mean, the best counter to a druid is another druid paying I mean, attention. It's not wrong. <laughs> like there, yeah. yeah. I mean, Polaris learned it kind of early because we we went through this interesting phase, and this is. Uh, this is going to come up in a little bit, but we went through this interesting phase where we had a lot of what Kumo was talking about, all eggs in one basket. We made a god character with enchantments and then had them barrel through the front line. And we quickly realized DMAG doesn't care about your feelings. And it just... <laughs> so let's suppose. Yeah, that is a quote from Vitalin, by the way. I did not come up with that. Vitalin, great line. DMAG does not care about your feelings. It just goes through it. And we're like, oh, we made a god character. And then the like wizard happily skips by with battle mage and just ambulant demag and then continues on their way. And we ran out of stuff. But if you're playing, you know, spread the wealth or something like that, where you're giving enchantments to everyone, a druid's got naturalized magic, that wizard's got demag on recharge. You've got capabilities to just keep countering things as long as people are paying attention. Um, we'll get into that more detail in a second. How does size of field change where you guys play does that actually have any effect in the roles that the the druid has or can it be anywhere at any time um i guess i'll go ahead and go first uh i usually save like real try hard lists for kingdom um yeah. if we're doing something that is like either a couple local parks meeting up or just straight up local park i'm going to focus on like one comboed aspect um so like maybe at local park i play avatar nature but i'm not going to just kind of blast the full list i'm going to have like 20 poisons a tune and like stone skin and just 
you know rock that and not worry about it right um so you're still getting the idea of what you're you need to be doing while not being over the top overbearing for your your local park if they're not like big in the battle games for some reason yeah i found that um on large size fields Dispel is less of a threat than on mid medium-sized fields. And the reason I'll say that is because you know uh, who the more threatening casters are, the more threatening um, battle game players. And the more threatening ones, the ones who know what they're doing, are the ones who are more likely to take Dispel. So, you're, so you actively say, those guys have Dispel, I'm going that way, <laughs> and the rest of my team will plan we're going to take out those people with the spell so that the, our druids can mop up. <laughs> so um, on, large on large fields, it's just a lot easier for, I think, druid to get around and, and control whatever part of the field that they are on. On medium-sized fields, it can become more back and forth. And on small-sized fields, druids just dominate if they want to. And that's on small-sized fields, I would recommend if you are an awesome druid to maybe take yourself down a few notches because otherwise you're just going to, to wreck face. Or just mimic another class like we were talking about before. Just play druid but play it as the assassin build or play druid and play it as a scout build or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with both of these two on that. Um, larger size of the field, you generally kind of get to be a little more freeform, get to do what you want. But as it gets smaller and smaller, it's recommended <laughs> that you scale things back or as you, or imitate another class or fill a very odd niche that doesn't absolutely destroy everything. I know later, and we got a later question relating to yep. how to not not ruin people's time so i'll save most of my stuff for that yeah because i got a couple stories it's important to grow the park and unfortunately if you're a real hard and badass druid and no one knows how to counter you yet your team's gonna win 90 percent of the time like it is not enough that others succeed it's yeah. enough that others fail <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's uh as somebody that was at a park is kumo was like full-on paragon drewing when i was started and i had no idea what was going on it was just amazing to be on kumo's team because i'd be like i'm a bard at level two i have nothing and then he'd give me stone skin and i'd be a god because we had like 10 people in the field and it it was ridiculous once we figured out what we were doing it definitely changed but for a good six to eight months like if Kumo had on that brown sash, we were like, I pick Kumo first. I want, I want Kumo because <laughs> I want that enchantment. I don't care. I don't know the name of the enchantment. I just want that enchantment. And, and Kumo knew what to give. One of the best compliments I've gotten from multiple people is like, I pick cats first because I don't want to fight against it. <laughs> that's, that's the other aspect of it. You're like, I don't have enough D mags. I'm level four. I don't know what to do. Like it just, you run out of problems very, or you run out of answers to the problem very quickly. Um, Actually, it was I, I picked Cads first because I want to play. <laughs> that that sounds like something that should be said for bards, but I get it for druids because it's a thing. Um, all right, so smaller size field, we want to tone it back because obviously. So on my first episode, uh, Balder had the remark saying that like bard is a very concentrated thing, and the smaller the the battlefield you put it on the more problematic it can be and i think that's the same with most casters but especially bard and druid they have a lot of 
influence on the field, maybe not directly like Bard does, but uh, Druid has all those influences of making their team better by a lot, by just magnitudes. You you look at a bunch of newbies and you give them one point of armor and they are all of a sudden like stabbing warlords because the warlord turns around and like just chest shots them and then turns to the next person. They had a point and they didn't know it. And it's it's a beautiful moment when you watch a warlord get stabbed by a newbie. It's great. <laughs> um, okay, so next question is go-to abilities for you guys. Things you need to know about your class. Are there any hidden gems that people like don't take but really should? Um, we've talked about DMAG. Obviously, just, just put DMAG in your list. If you have it available, it's one point. Just take it. Uh, so go-to um, abilities. This this answer will also be in the wizard one. So spoiler alert: Ice Ball is what the most powerful magic ball in the game, and it's one of the most powerful spells in the game. Always take max of them and always use them. They, <laughs> they, you, you can just delete someone for ex- from existence for sixty seconds by hitting their shield or grazing their garb with it. You don't have to be a good shot with it. You can you can you, there's you can charge an ice ball, hide it behind your shield, or just kind of slide of hand it at somebody and be like, whoop, oh, and you're frozen for 60 seconds. It's ridiculous. Take ice ball. There's lots of other spells I can mention, but I'm going to just open with ice ball. Tevlon, so ice ball is definitely... Yep. Yeah. So ice ball is uh, def... Can you hear me? Yes, yes, yes. Yep, yep. So ice ball is definitely one of those ones... Um, Cats have made a, gave a perfect explanation. Um, I would say generally my go-to in pretty much all builds is either Stone Skin or Lycanthropy. Those are it seems relatively obvious with those. Um, but one that actually is I'd say a hidden gem, even if it's not in most of the areas, um, Stone Form, because it's just an out, much like the Shadow Step that you see with you know assassins you know it's basically oh you can't kill me unless you take a few extra steps and only a few aside from release there's a, like what shatter shatter g release release with... you can beat shatter with stone form because you can come out when you want so yeah it's really not that worth yeah. noting in whereas some insubstantial whereas insubstantial has in my opinion a lot more answers be mm-hmm. it banish dim- dimensional anchor dimensional rift so pro i'd say stone form is the i'd say that's the hidden gem i've seen yeah, a lot I of think... people avoid combat like just um uh there was a druid at our park that literally would run up to the barbarian like get full up in their face and they just stone form right there and <laughs> like they're just looking at him like they're a crazy person but they get it was a waste of the barbarian's time it was great Oh crap! I'm within thirty feet of that wizard, and he started extension finger of deathing me. What am I gonna do? I take the form stone. <laughs> <laughs> um, my go-to, I guess, uh, is is uh, naturalized magic, ice ball, and uh, stone form. Those are really the go-to things you can look for. I feel like the only thing with this, uh, naturalized magic is uh, uh, be aware if 
the other if the rest of your park doesn't really play magic class it's kind of a waste but you know just pay attention to some degree like druid in general is just pay attention right like that's really the biggest thing mm -hmm. uh, you have a lot of um utility and as long as you're kind of sort of paying attention to what the the objectives is or or you have an idea of what kind of classes you the uh the the whole field is playing then you can pretty much tailor a list to be ridiculous mm -hmm. it's um versatile Another big, uh, big one to say is that druids get icy blast per life. They yeah. are, they are frozen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I always take max icy blast. I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't want to take max icy blast. It's a verbal. It, it's pretty fast to get off. Put someone in the frozen status, and it's sorcery, which no one is immune to, is... not without very specific enchantments. Yep. <laughs> So, and you can ambulant them. So I always take ambulant, icy blast, both, max of both, and use them together. Yeah, it's yeah, whenever there's an opportunity. Yeah, I I mean, I'm pretty sure most meta builds, wizard and druid included, have icy blast on it because it's an answer for ninety percent of the game. There are very few meta builds that include that void touch, not void, yeah, void touch, where you get that immunity to sorcery or somebody specifically takes the immunity or resistance to sorcery. There's not a lot of that going around because sorcery isn't that powerful besides the giant spike that is Icy Blast. I mean, otherwise it's like release and uh, force, or, uh, release and shove. Like, that's about it. Yeah, I mean, if you take... Kumo. Ah, if you take resist, if they're resistant to sorcery, you can blow it with a shove or something like that too. So like it's a pretty quick uh, cast to get rid of too. So it's not that big a deal. Yeah, it's mm. it's hard to. I mean, so immunity to sorcery is hard to get in the first place. If you're going to be uh, trying to block that icy blast on a regular basis, like you know someone's playing with that, then it might be worth it. But there's other ways to just get more pro mag, like get either enlightened soul or pro mag in general, and then just ignore it. Um, yeah, there's, um, there's options. I'd also say it's really hard, really, really hard to be immune to both. Sor it's first off, it's hard to get immune to sorcery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's hard to get immunity to subdual. If you're not a barbarian being immune to sorcery and subdual at the same time, you got to be actually trying to troll a druid in order to do that <laughs> um, who doesn't have any other forms of offense, which is going to be very rare. But but what, I, what I'm getting to is that between Ice Ball and Icy Blast, that gives you a very versatile offense against just about anybody. Mm -hmm. And Kumo's back. We're trying to yep. buy time. Um, so this is something that I am slightly confused about. And um, it was brought up. I don't remember which discussion it was brought up in. But in Winter's Edge, Wetlands, and Neverwinter, I've been told that barbarians being played by warlords are very hard to deal with. And I find that surprising due to, like, Terror, Shove, Icy Blast, uh, a G-release when they decide to go into um, uh, Fight After Death. Teflon, is, is this just, like, people not knowing their abilities or how to counter a barbarian? Or is it more that they're a warlord and they're scared of them? Uh, it's a little of both, I think. Um, I, I noticed when the I think the last round of Paragons kind of got elevated, um, when all of us basically took service roles directly after. And I mm -hmm. saw a lack of dispel magic um, 
and a lack of icy blast and a lack of ice balls to be perfectly honest <laughs> all of those uh in in other classes as well right mm-hmm. not just druids um and i think that just kind of plays into it and also someone being a warlord uh it does bring like a, a, just as much as like someone's a paragon it brings like a natural like beacon to them yeah um so people are afraid of them for some reason or another whenever they don't necessarily need to be right you know? we had a similar issue with monks because we had uh raf and a couple of his squires raf is a, a warlord up here and um um a couple of his squires would play monk pretty consistently and just were known for hitting hard and it caused a couple like stutters and like oh how do we fix it it's a it's a monk you just stick them <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, I'll say that I have been part of my friends and I who have been in multiple fighting companies together um, have kind of fought teams of warlords before who are really good at fighting and have a lot of intimidation, you know, around them because they're a warlord, but they're not quite as good as class games. And they do play things like barbarian or monk with, you know, with, with in some cases, and I would say, based on my personal experience, it's just 100% intimidation. They aren't really that hard to take care of. Barbarians, um, there's lots of ways to take care of barbarian that classes just get as a staple, like Icy Blast, or for a wizard, Lightning Bolt. Like, Lightning Bolt's a reusable form of offense that just completely hose out barbarians. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, barbarians are very easy to deal with. The only the only problem is is if one of is in very short term very small small games like phoenix league or something like that when one of them gets a fight after death off it's kind of hard to end that fight after death because you're likely not going to have access to greater release on your team if you're playing by the meta because um in phoenix league at least like bards can be up there depending on your team healers another form of uh of greater release definitely aren't in the meta but Mm -hmm. On like a mid-size or large field, barbarians, not not that much of a threat. And I think that is a size issue thing, because like, and and length of game definitely. Where uh, if we start talking about length of game, there are certain classes that in an hour-long game they are going to be the good fighters and good casters at the end of the game because they still have all their stuff. Where uh, barbarians and druids have like an eighty or ninety percent per refresh which is a lot harder to maintain that that consistency i mean the the druid obviously has a lot more potential because you've got 30 points to play with and if you take summoner or uh yeah if you take summoner you can like double some of those points and end up extending that per refresh list much farther um it's definitely something that i think a lot of people when they go to large events they don't think about because they're used to their you know 30 minute ish battle games at park and they're not used to the one hour long siege that happens at like keep or uh castlemania that it's one hour where you're on offense or another hour where you're on defense or another hour where you're on tertiary defense like it's a huge time frame that you have to make sure you're maintaining your your push your your ability to be problematic and uh, uh dangerous for the other team um yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say is um, paying attention to your objectives because those are going to dictate what kind of spell list that you bring yeah. um, for how long it's going to take, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's definitely something everyone needs to pay attention like regardless of class pay attention yeah. to how long the game is um and we've yeah. seen that repetitively people with better understanding of tactics do better in paragon in, in paragon paths or trying to get um uh higher levels in classes and stuff yeah you definitely like you want to pay attention to how long a game is in terms of do I want to take mostly per refresh spells and go enchantment heavy, or do I want to take, if this game is really going to last a long time, really consider just having almost no uh, per refresh spells. Maybe a couple of enchantments here and there, because those can potentially last a long time. And and then you're like, okay, I'm only taking enchantments for these people because I know those people are going to last a long time and all that stuff. Um, but like the two... F- Spells that I listed off as like the staples, Icy Blast or Ice Ball, guess what? They're reusable throughout the entire game <laughs> because Icy Blast is per life. Meta Magic is per life. Always take lots of Meta Magic. And Ice Ball, you can just keep reusing those Ice Balls as long as you don't, you know, <laughs> lose them throughout the, <laughs> which is which is easy to do in a massive game. Yeah, don't throw them in a lake. Um <laughs> I mean, I guess you technically could, and they're still illegal throwy, but that's mean. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, our next question is, uh, what are skills or things that you want to focus on to get better? Either things inside the game or things you can do in like your everyday life. Um, I can't harp on it enough, but pay attention to objectives, 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 objectives. Like mm-hmm. if you're, if you're looking to win a game and you're looking to kind of outshine other people, especially with trying to get to Paragon doing things that make sure your team wins uh, or sets your team up to win is going to make you show, uh, be more visible to other people. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be necessarily you accomplishing the objective, but Druid can kind of enter in a tactician in sort of that way, where you say, okay, there's a flag, we need someone to get the flag, let's put stone skin on our fastest person, or let's put something else like another enchantment on our fastest person. Like the Druid can kind of look back and be a tactician that says, okay, you know, this squad is going out and killing people to take time off. So I'm going to give them flame blade and be weapon, blah, 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 blah. And this squad is going to go and try to accomplish the objective. So I'm going to give them armor just like stuff like that. You can, you can be the tactician, even though you yourself are not accomplishing the objective. Right. And okay. So there's a story that I'm remembering Kumo. you you were the one that told me the story and I believe it was five or six druids that decided at keep on the borderlands the best way to stop people from getting through something it was a doorway of some kind was to have just a bunch of druids link arms at the doorway in stone form hold on let me let me add an appendum okay, to that. okay uh, yeah there it wasn't just linking arms oh no <laughs> it was everybody bought poles oh and they linked poles Oh. And basically, and also, uh, the mastermind behind this was Q-Ball, so, you know, him and his power gave me shenanigans. <laughs> it was not just that, it was, um, we got, I believe, clerics in on the, uh, healers in on the list, basically giving us adaptive protection, or, like, the protection from sorcery, or whatever has release, or greater yeah. release. Sorcery. And then sleight of mind. <laughs> so on top of that, so they tried releasing us, 
We're immune. They dispel us. Okay, Slate of Mind gone. And it took them an obscene amount of time to the point where it wasn't even realistically the the cost benefit like scale was not there they might as well have just tried going through the front door <laughs> but some people persisted good on them I, I, I that's the kind of like tactical stuff you need to pull off if you realize there's a weakness to the tactics just do something and i know they tried this again against the polaris team uh the year we got nicknamed polaris because we brought a lot of pole arms and people were not happy Whoa. about that you meanie faces you complete <laughs> meanie faces people gonna, die gonna, hold on i'm gonna i'm gonna <laughs> contend one point on this that is revisionist history it was not polaris it was the gold it was That's golden true. city all-stars it was golden city all-stars and it, polaris was only 70 percent involved all right <laughs> it, the mastermind was cue ball once again um who I do have lined up for an anti-paladin talk, which will be fun. But I, they tried it again against us at that point, and the answer was they weren't organized enough to get it through. Like, they, there was a forest battle. We had a, a corridor that we were able to go through easily with a cart, and it was a, I think it was about 20, 25 feet wide. It wasn't that big. It was just a little bigger than a Camry, Teflon. Um, <laughs> and uh, it... They tried to do it with like 10 and it didn't work because we just had poles. We just went between their legs or the spaces around and whatever. And it, I think that's like the ultimate just uh, uh, compliment when someone takes your tactic and tries to use it against you because they've seen the benefit of it. Um, that's it's always fun. I got off track. Where are we? Recommended or uh, no, sorry. Things to focus Things on to wish. get better. Yeah. 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 Um, I would say this is more so, I'd say this is relatively universal. Um, physicality, generally, is something I think I personally would love to focus more on once we get back into the game, or even before then. Because physicality not only improves your amp guard game in various aspects, and improves your daily life. Um, the not, Realistically, if you have more cardio in your real life, you can do more things outside of work, outside of amp guard, what have you. Mm -hmm the and like we mentioned earlier cardio whilst doing spell incantations that's a that's a pretty good thing if you're able to run you're more likely to be able to get say capture the flag objectives um if you're in a fight you're not going to get tired as quickly during a, a skirmish or a confrontation so mm. i personally think physicality is something at least i want to focus on in the coming whenever amp guard comes back to life whenever covid's done um yeah i'll suggest that if you're working out outside of amcard and you want to be efficient with your time then i wouldn't recommend doing straight cardio like getting on the treadmill and jogging for uh 10 minutes i would recommend high intensity in interval training and what that means is that you get on the treadmill you sprint for like 30 seconds then you walk for two minutes then you sprint for 30 seconds and then you walk for through two minutes that more equates to what you you're actually doing on the field because no one gets on the field and jogs for 10 minutes they're 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 running they're stopping they're running they're stopping mm -hmm. um and then as you as you get better as you work as you uh get more endurance that way then maybe sprint for a minute and walk for a minute and 
go that route. So that's what I'd recommend if you're exercising outside of Vanguard. Yeah, it's it's uh, I I wear a heart monitor now. I'm a, I've got a fancy smartwatch, whatever, and it it my rate during like fighter practice is like really weird because it's just like huge spike cool huge spike cool and they're just like 45 seconds apart because it's me getting in line waiting getting back into the fight and just like doing that over and over again and that's i think a lot of the way our regular combat goes is you have you know 30 45 seconds of just pounding out fighting with somebody and then it's just kind of tension as you move to different directions um and that depends on where you're at on the field obviously i mean the front line is obviously going to have more overall stress and movement than like the back line but the midline is almost always moving i played support part a lot and it was go to that side and help those people go to that side and help those people running helps i think i'd be remiss uh from my own brand if i didn't say lift uh, <laughs> uh drink water lift and play druid uh so definitely do that um I, as much as I hate them, the Olympic lifts would probably be really good because they're explosive movements to kind of go together with the, the hit t- style workouts, which mm-hmm. is the high intensity and interval training yep. stuff. So definitely look into that stuff. Um, I do mostly kind of power lifting circuits or whatever, so it's not exactly as applicable to amp guard, but I just enjoy it more. Um, the other thing is, is range as you you pointed out like there's a joke uh that we went over that we realized that a, a camry is nearly 20 feet like it's really really close and amp guarders traditionally have no idea how far 20 feet is <laughs> uh so measure it out and look at it over and over again because it's a lot shorter than everyone thinks i would mm-hmm. if i had to guess everyone calling if someone is in for 20 feet the majority of it is anywhere close to 28 to 33 feet Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was um kumo and i had a little bit of a cheat the inside uh winter location for ice haven has these pillars <laughs> that are exactly 20 like they're 19 and a half <laughs> feet apart whatever they're the in the middle of our play area so we constantly had and there was a grid line on the floor that matched it we could constantly figure out like are you in range no you're obviously outside of range the pillar like it's whatever and that helped a yep. lot figuring out this is 20 that's 30 just yeah it's difficult it's tricky if you're not a surveyor or like somebody that deals with measurements on a regular basis like it's hard yeah Uh, funny enough my my current job are i work with aluminum quite a bit and um our longest pieces of aluminum that i work with are 18 feet 11 inches it's not exactly 20 feet but it's like oh I'm using this on a daily basis now. I know exactly where 18 feet 11 mm-hmm. inches are. I just need <laughs> yeah. to add, I just need to add what like 21 11, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just yeah. a little bit of it. You're just like that's their foot. They're in. It's <laughs> yeah. The you other side mine. of that is knowing that you can start casting before they're in range. Oh, like, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, the spell only cares about okay, sorry. 99.9% of all spells only care about validity at the end of the incant. The only one that cares about the beginning is coup de gras because it's weird. But everything else yeah. is just, as long as they're within range at the end, you're fine. Um, do we have any other abilities or things that we want to focus on to get better as a druid? No? All right. Uh, yeah? Uh, I was going to say, make sure you know your your archetypes at the end or whatever, the, the mm-hmm. summoner, ranger, and avatar nature all their uh pros and cons that uh you get when you take them because you can take i think even all three of them but yes. you can take yep, you can take all three uh if that were a good idea 
Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I mean, so yeah. technically, I'll state this: that okay, almost all classes, almost all the casters can take a combination of two of their archetypes, but only druid and bard, I think, can take all three and still be functional. I don't yeah. recommend doing it for bard because legend is just not <laughs> useful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it it j- just put them in other places it's it's not worth it but it's like still technically a thing if you want to do that um we're going to talk about that later because we've got combos of archetypes that are uh because i think and this is this is my opinion i think druid has the most combos that actually synergize with each other um healers obviously got the uh the uh priest necromancer that does some wonky stuff that gives them some power but that's like one where druid i think you can mix every single one of them and still probably be really effective um we'll get to that later uh recommended tactics target acquisition both enemies and people you want to put enchantments on um i'm gonna start um so i usually play the players rather than the classes most of the time um there are definitely classes that will take enchantments better um however uh again our enchantments people have to know the enchantments really well to make the best use out of them so you want to work with people who you know are going to keep your enchantments and use them correctly because i don't know how many times uh i have given out um wounds kill to people and they forget it's really infuriating to be honest <laughs> i have that problem with contagion yeah Ooh. yeah <laughs> dead on to teflon's point that focusing on who you the players versus the classes for enchanting i think as it goes really up um i remember one time at my original part home park of vice haven i explained to a kid for like 10 minutes how <laughs> various enchantments worked and how like you know you announce them pre-combat you ba- basically make sure people know what your abilities can do i gave him a good few enchantments um the game and, well the game starts give him a good few enchantments he runs out dies immediately he didn't and he didn't announce any of that but then uh one curse it was i believe in 2016 i gave lily sunshine uh basically the full kit not, actually, not even the full kit. Now that I think about it, it was like stone skin, a tune, and imbue weapon. So it wasn't even like a golem kit. And that actually had more dividends overall than, say, so focusing on good players or the right players who know how these abilities work, when to announce them, what have you, is very beneficial. I've definitely met my share of people who are a lot better with enchantments than other people. And it has... Um, it it's just a certain mindset that people have like a certain type of gamer really um because i've seen like i've given them out out to really competitive like stick jocks who don't so much care about like they're not so much into class gaming and they're like oh i forgot about about that ability oh you know and then i've seen some people who like you give them stone skin and they will murder they'll probably get the the uh they'll probably get the uh, death count in the th- in the triple digits, and they'll never lose it, and they'll just go out and just murder the field with 
just like a couple of okay enchantments, never mind giving them golem. Yeah, it's I, it's difficult. Yes. I've actually found that um if you're if you're not if you don't have someone who you can throw the big golem kit down onto, uh breaking them up into like you said, stone skin and wounds kill, or even just stone skin by itself, uh pays out a lot more because people can keep usually one enchantment down really well but when you start comboing things that's where sometimes people have problems because of the type of gamers they are or something like that so um again you're playing into uh your this is the hard thing for druid is that you have to play into your teammates strengths uh as well and so understanding what they are strong at is really big about them um and as far as enemy targets go it's a little bit the same thing if you know that the other team has a good druid, they're going to put iron skin and uh, something else on a monk or something like that. Make sure you have your dispel or naturalized magic ready uh, if you know they're going to usually put it on at the very beginning of the game. Um, and I actually suggest not doing that. I usually like letting a push or two on an objective happen so they don't see where the big uh, big pieces are at uh, right away. That's a, a, a so something that we've had. Um... It's been changing in the meta, at least in Polaris. And Teflon, I want to know if it's changing in uh, Winter's Edge. Denny, how have you played in uh, Dragonspine recently? I mean, well, not recently, recently. Before, <laughs> before COVID. Recently, before COVID. <laughs> yes, I did play in okay. Dragonspine recently. So I want to know that COVID. as well. Um, we saw a large change in a. I think it's 2016, 2017. We saw a large change and push from putting a giant tank on the field like a warrior in six points with two flails with imbue weapon a bunch of enchantments and golem and everything like that we saw it transition to more spread out which i call spread the wealth you you give everyone on your team as many enchantments as possible and try to make sure that the team is better instead of making one pinpoint spear is that something that's happened across the nation or is it kind of just a midwest thing i think it's just a midwest thing just just a uh it's kind of how the meta evolves as as things go because you know i would say if you put too many of your eggs in one basket then now everyone's taking the spells and everyone's aiming for your one big egg and that's what the game is but if you spread the wealth around a little bit that's the counter to that to that you know because i have seen like the difference between the two and one thing that that it makes um, talking about the rules and talking about how I best improve the rules really hard in Amcard is that the meta is completely different depending on where you're where you're at. Like in some places, I've seen them say that like Archer is overpowered, and I think that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> but maybe they have a lot of people who are really good with bows, and a lot of pe people who just aren't as good as at playing caster or shutting down an archer. That's what I have to say about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> is it so? Have you seen that change, Teflon, or is it still kind of a lot of people are putting more emphasis on one person being in power? Um, there's not as many druids at the moment, or well, last time I was playing uh, right. due to COVID, uh, there wasn't as many. Yeah, right, as many <laughs> druids around, so it was easier to kind of dump your enchantments on one person, um, and. Uh, some of it, I think, is also like how much trust you can put into somebody using your enchantments. So I got to the point where I would try to find three people that I could dump um, either a tune 
onto with uh, MV weapon and stone skin or something like that, or find uh, someone who's skilled about dodging some of the dispels and stuff like that, paying a lot of attention to, to who's casting what at them. And if there's an ability to like just put enough distance between them to use that rather than just kind of standing and taking it to, um, so it, I think what really boils down to is how good people are in your area about, uh, with the knowledge of druids, because if they're not very knowledgeable, you can dump the big guy and they're going to probably do more damage than the overall, like kind of spread it out kind of thing. Um, because of being able to push one singular objective. But again, this depends on the objective of the game. If you have mm -hmm. multiple objectives, then, you know, spreading it out is probably going to give you more dividends than it is to, to, you know, gank one side real hard, you know? Right. So for, for me, I've seen, uh, when I was playing Druid more often, you would see a little bit more spread of enchantments, but now, uh, more recently, it's usually one or two people stacked up. Okay. That's interesting to, to know how it changes around the country. Okay, I mean, cause unfortunately Amcrad has a bad habit of like, creating our little cliques of kingdoms and then we basically only fight in those cliques and we create metas and plans in those cliques and then we don't talk to other kingdoms and we're like yeah we're better <laughs> than everyone why well we beat those two yeah but those right. are the only two out of 22 kingdoms there's 22 <laughs> kingdoms I think that's yeah. the cool thing though with Amgard at the same time it's uh you know with the amount of communication that we have uh we just don't utilize as as much as we could, but you see on some of the, the college of, of druids and, and wizards and all that stuff, you'll see spell lists and things, which most of the time they're going to be somewhere close to a meta list that get posted. Um, so you can see what other people are doing in areas through those things. Uh, but when it boils down to it, you just have to realize what your kingdom or your area is uh, presenting as a uh, challenge and the easier way to overcome it is is using your enchantments that way you know like if they don't take a whole lot of dispels then you can use either build and do really well you know um so it's just paying attention to what's going around in your area there's a lot of paying attention in druid not only to like the local <laughs> yeah. field but the meta outside the field and the meta in the kingdom that's a lot of just like background knowledge i mean i think it really applies to just about every class but it's if you're looking, especially if you're looking to get down the Paragon path, is just you've got to really pay attention to what's going, what's happening. Because I think, I think ultimately, one of the big differences between level six and Paragon is the ability to to look farther than just the one game you're playing in. Mm -hmm. And so, um, Kuma, you have a good example of this. It was, I believe, it was the 2016 or 2017 keep, the one where we had the two castles, and at the old site. And you flipped your tactics between attacking and defending um, the the big castle, if I'm remembering correctly. I might be completely wrong. Oh, man. I, I know it's been a while. Was... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really trying to remember. Keep 20. It was the one where you, for one of them, you enchanted Balder to the teeth and then... Uh, when we defend, it was 2016. It was 2016. I, I remember. Okay, it was 2016. I remember this now because yeah, no, because I was like, hey, you. I I don't think I don't remember the exact quote, but I think it was. Uh, you want to feel like a god or something along those lines. It was something along and those lines. It, it was something along those lines. It was a not gonna lie, that was a rough keep for me. But the uh, 
the now I remember because I remember uh, DRC from DRC Photography and all that. Uh, she took a photo of the two of us, and it looked like we were about to drop the hottest rap oh, album of 2016. Right. I remember, I remember this yeah. now. That um, was great. But yeah, no, I, 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 admittedly, I don't remember much of what was going through my mind that event. That's fine. Uh, there was a lot going on at that event. <laughs> there was a lot going on. Uh, <laughs> um. We're on tactics. We're on recommended tactics. Okay, so uh, ally tactics, we're talking more about you want to find people that are going to focus and players that are going to be better with your enchantments. For the enemies, Teflon, you said it was mostly the same, just in the reverse. Uh, do you guys agree with that? Yeah, for the most part. I I have a bias towards warriors. Like, for me, <laughs> I, like, I know how bad that uh it can be when a druid you know loads up a warrior and with six points and all that i i've i've done it but even up without that the warrior is horrifying if you if you think about it as a concept oh six points and can basically just ignore walk in you know kill a bunch of people and just go scavenge 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 mm-hmm. uh so my bias is almost oh is that warrior got six points even if they're not the greatest warrior i'm just like i'm going to ice ball you and i'm going to make sure you're never joining this game unless you take a death. <laughs> and their shield is not covered by their ancestral armor. That is exactly a that's... detail that is needed. And that exactly that's and that's specifically why I'm like, all right, ice ball, and you they reflexively swing at it with their shield, and it's like, <laughs> uh, see you in sixty seconds. Cads, <laughs> do you agree? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um... <laughs> yeah, ice ball is one of the most underrated, and some people either it's either underrated or rate it just right where it is. Because I know a lot of people who say that it's one of the strongest spells in the game, and it just goes around just about everything. The only thing it doesn't stop is pro mag, and it's really hard to get pro mag. So, yeah. Ice ball is ridiculous. Another thing that you can can do against other warriors is that druid, as as it's been said, is one of the best dispellers in the game because of our naturalized magic. And if and you can just completely screw over a warrior by naturalized magicing them. That you get you just got rid of one of their capstone abilities and ancestral armor by just getting rid of it. And they only get so many of those per game. That's mean, and I like it. Yeah. Like, having on a small field, you have that one warrior on the other side that's, like, gunning for Paragon, and you're gunning for Paragon Druid, and you save three of your nap mags for him. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Just like, I got your number. That's mean, and I approve of that. Like, don't, obviously, we're not not saying bully anybody, but, like, that's a really good tactic to just shut down an opponent that's, that's, problematic overall if you know how to make sure that your enemy that is the worst like is the biggest threat to your team if you know how to take them and just put them off to the side so they're no longer a problem i don't i as a bard i 100 percent approve of that because that's what 90 percent of my kid is it's just you go over there and play by yourself because oh, i don't want to deal with you and druid has that same capability you just put them in an ice block and then let them stand there that's uh yep <laughs> it's fun it's it's mean but it's fun um 
All right, we got target acquisitions. We've got recommended tactics. Uh, coming back to the equipment question, you have the largest kit out of every caster. Almost the largest kit out of melee classes as well. Um, what equipment... I mean, is it just like bring the the armory and hope that you pick the right weapons? Or are there some things that are more important or things that you really need to pay attention with for equipment? Um, one thing I'll say, and this is kind of important, is that if you want a pole arm, um, it is likely more efficient for you to buy just outright buy a pole arm than it is to take Ranger. Because Ranger is two points of Ranger versus five points. But if you're playing Druid, you probably want enchantments. And I'm pretty much guaranteeing you that unless you um, aren't buying really much of anything <laughs> in terms of enchantments, which, you know, that's one of the big advantages of Druid, you're going to want that pull arm. Everything else, it's more of a... Um, it's more of a, a personal taste kind of a thing. I know someone who takes long sword and small shield and they rock it and they, and they do a lot with it, but they're also really good with a long sword. So it really depends on what you uh, specialize in. But mm -hmm. so that, that's pretty much the only thing I want to say is that it's very likely if all you want is a pull arm and you don't want that bow or don't want like more weapons, it's better to take uh, just the pull arm. Good to know. I have a pole arm. I will use that tactic. <laughs> pole arms are awesome. I, I'd personally say if you know what you're mainly going to be about for an event, you only really, or especially if you're new, like obviously the kit for Druid is vast. You know, you can take long, you can take a great, you can take a bow eventually down the line. But I, for the most part, you can just get by on a single short, especially if you're using, say, ice ball or what have you. Um, me as an example, my favorite kits don't actually, I just use a small shield. I don't even use a weapon. Um, people like to talk about wizard as being like, you can technically make wizard the cheapest class because of all the verbal, you only need, if you're taking battle mage, you only really need to do verbals mm -hmm. or what have you. Um, so technically like you don't even need to purchase equipment outside of your fingers or, or garb. Mm -hmm. Um, I think with Druid, you're it's pretty close as well, considering you're, all you really need are enchantment strips, potentially. Maybe a short, maybe two shorts, maybe a shield. Mm -hmm. Even then, it's pretty economical. My, I'm personally biased. I say a shield is almost always a good thing to have. Uh, makes it a little bit harder to get to you. Mm -hmm. But that, that, I think that's just about where I stand on that. Teflon? Um, this is the really weird one with Druid, right? Like, they kind of touched on it, literally everything that I wanted to, but um, if you're playing casters and you're looking to get better at casting, don't rely necessarily on the crutch of a sword or something. Grab the two daggers. Um, if you've got some kind of sheath or something like that so that you can quick uh, sheath it so that you have an empty hand to cast then go with do if you don't then go with one i played a lot of quick in um jugging so i'm not super afraid of just a 1v1 with a pole arm and me having a dagger um uh, if you get one good block you win <laughs> potentially so uh i think that like at a home park type thing 
take the single dagger and see what you can get going with it. Um, even even on a kingdom level, if you take single d- a dagger and you're playing summoner and you're playing front line with it, if someone busts the line, as long as you understand where they're going to come through the line at, you can position yourself behind them and then hit them a billion times with the dagger because it's very quickly to go through. Um, and this is also paying attention to, you know, if there's any gaps in someone's armor. Uh, like mm-hmm. there's, uh, there's a warrior uh, who used to play in Winter's Edge who had a lot of armor everywhere, but his elbows were exposed. So if you took two shots to his elbow, goodbye, buddy, you know. Um, so you can you can get around a lot of things uh, if you're using your teammates as shields or uh, the, your teammates' shields one way or the other. <laughs> yup, it's uh, fighting with fighting in a line is something that I don't think Ampguard practices well enough, and it's something that I really enjoy in Large Kingdom battles because especially when we start throwing classes in there, we get some weird mixes of like. You've got a monk with a polearm, and you've got that barbarian and that warrior, and they've got the shields, but where do the casters fit in on that front line? And it's it's interesting to see where people choose to stick and, like, what they can do with just a dagger. Um, Broton, my uh, master? I don't know. I was his apprentice for Paragon. Made me fight for a month as bard with only per lives and only a dagger. And... That helped a lot. I'll be 100% honest. I was like, I know those spells. They'll be fine. I didn't know those spells well enough. I mm-hmm. now could like rattle those things off like no problem. And I knew how to block at the same time because you got a dagger. I also recommend if you're going to block poles, get yourself one of the the little guards for your dagger because then you're not going to like beat up your knuckles. Um, yeah, dagger uh, guards or, or good gloves yeah. either way. You want something. I played quick at... Uh, Wow, I'm spacing on the name. Rackus. And um, I did not have lacrosse gloves at the time. I just had my my full protection dagger. And that made a big difference in me not breaking fingers. Um, <laughs> especially in some of our larger fields. Like we're talking Castlemania or Spring War or Keep where we've got 400 people on the field. There's going to be someone just shooting real hard with that pole arm and you're going to want to make sure you don't break a hand or anything like that. I mean, a weapon that turned illegal in the middle of the game, uh, like the foam busted or something like that. It's just a a good general safety thing to have some sort of glove or, or guard on your, your equipment. Mm -hmm. Um, specifically because caster, this is the only caster that gets a bow without it being some magical artifact or whatever. Um, interactions with your bow for equipment. Do you guys, uh, focus heavily on that and like try to become a better archer in that style or is it more the bow is accenting your kit I can't answer this because I don't own a bow and I don't use bow <laughs> <laughs> I don't use bow often enough to actually have an opinion on it realistically I should probably be focusing on that eventually down the line as well but I don't use bow that often mm-hmm. I have dabbled with it um I have made a few of the um, uh, fiberglass rod tractor supply bows. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys have seen them or not. Um, but uh, uh, I don't have a bow that is a, a real bow that is inside the um, 35 pound mark. I have a 45 or 50 pound bow. And mm-hmm. if I loosen the string on it enough to be 35, then it's it's too low of a riser height and you slap the crap out of your hand. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, I have gotten some of the pistol crossbows and goofed around with those. Um, I don't fully recommend it, 
because they don't go very far. But it is something that you can use if you are playing the let's give this guy all my enchantments kind of thing, the golem builds. Um, you could run directly in their pocket, and if someone starts to cast uh, Dispel Magic, then you can shoot them with the crossbow. And the weird thing is the intimidation of a point-and-click weapon, uh, at least with Winter's Edge, was way more than it should have been. <laughs> so maybe it's the same elsewhere, maybe it's not. Um, I think it is. Like, uh, Hercule, Her- Hercule, not Hercules, Hercule was up here in Ice Haven, and then he moved down to Texas, and his style of assassin was a frontline. St- he's a lefty, and he's a mm-hmm. good stick, and he's single-sword with a hand crossbow, and he would just stick you if he came close. But if you were scared of him, kapow! Like, yeah. I mean, so uh, one of the times right before I got Paragon was I I literally had two of those still, silly pistol crossbows. And it took me forever to reload both, both of them. So I ended up really just using one. But um, you can point at them and you have a projectile that does, you know, good damage overall, right? Um, and it destroys weapons and things. So people were like, nah, I don't really want to engage him. So you can keep sometimes, sometimes keep people in the 25, 30 feet, you know, range away from an objective because you have um, your, your big golem sitting right next to you and you have a crossbow that threatens that range too. So you may, if it's a timed thing where it's a time and hold kind of objective, you, you can kind of do some weird things with it. Um, with the bow in general, I have this problem where I can't hit stationary targets, but I can kind of, I can mostly hit <laughs> running targets. So um, uh, I would use the bow as an accent to what I do. Um, but I think that's really a preferential thing. If you're good at shooting just people in general, you can use the, the like ice ball and stuff like that just to supplement your ability to continue shooting people. Um, if you get rushed, then you can throw an ice ball at them uh, and things like that. So I, I it's a yes and no kind of question, you know, mm-hmm. or answer rather. It's a lot of preference on that. And that's... <laughs> A lot of what the the casters give us the opportunity to is you have to pay for your preferences where the melee classes just get handed your preferences. Like if you're a monk and you want a two stick, great. doesn't cost you any different. You still have the same kit. If you want to do a warrior with double flails, that's all the better for you. But casters specifically have you got to pay to play the way you want um, where druids got that just. I want to play as a Madu with a pole today for no good reason. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it's an opportunity. It's an interesting thing. And I think it's something that gets overlooked a little bit, unless you're playing avatar nature. If you're playing avatar nature, you normally decide your kit in advance and then go forward. But if you're kind of just like showing up, you're available to pick up almost anything. If you decide to use Ranger, uh, I think is it everything? You can't get hinged. No. That's what you don't get. No, no hinged. Yeah. That's right. So no flails or swales, the weird swords with a little flaily bit on the end. None of that. <laughs> um, but everything else, you have free game. That's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and no medium shield. Yes, no uh, medium yeah. shield. Um, smalls only. Though, mm-hmm. I'm seeing some very interesting shapes coming out of small shields recently around the country. <laughs> like... Um, Rorik, I mentioned him earlier, he's got a max small that is an oval, it's an ellipse, and it's actually almost as long as a medium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a lot of width to it, but it still works, and it's interesting to see if you play with 
shapes and geometry a little bit, you can get a lot of space out of a small shield and um, actually protect a decent chunk of your body. There's a guy in Neverwinter uh, named Ripper. He has um, a a small shield and he's kind of moving uh, it around a little bit with as a buckler, right? So he's got it strapped up to his upper, Mm -hmm. uh, upper arm bicep area and he can go two stick with it and have it kind of covering this shot location here because the way it's uh, mounted. Um, I have one that is kind of a tombstone or not tombstone, a a coffin shape Mm -hmm. that I have. And I put it um, here. And if you're working pole arm with it, it kind of, you can stand sideways to them and you have most of your uh, upper shoulder area already blocked. So not only look at shapes, but also look at where it attaches or how you hold it. Um, Because all small shields can be bucklers. Um, at that point too yeah they can be um, strapped to you without you actually having to have an open hand or a hand yep. attached to them which is a huge so, benefit uh, i have been actually running a lot of caster classes that can use small shields with that bucklers or yeah the upper arm buckler thing and a dagger or two uh, so that i have more dead space for them to have to shoot around or mm-hmm. uh, use projectiles to keep myself protected on, especially like a, a flank or in a local park area where there's a little more openness to the fields that happen. Yeah. Yeah, we all kind of know that the, the smaller the field, the less the spot on the field matters because it's all just a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, all right, so equipment. Um, all right, so this is a question we hit on it before, but it is, I, I think it's one of our most important questions because uh we up here have had a park that has almost died because they didn't really figure out how to answer this question well um how do we continue to get better but not ruin people's fun yeah so i admittedly i want to get my word in because my battery is down to single digits and i'm probably gonna have to go relatively quick Um, okay but the so i actually in my relatively early days gunning for paragon druid I actually ended up at a point where a good amount of my lists were banned from Ice Haven. <laughs> I remember um, this. <laughs> most, uh, I feel bad when when it's a kill game and you know my team only has like four deaths. Five, no, five deaths. Four of them were me. And they had to call the game because it was basically murder. Um, the So basically... I think with trying to keep real in your own power, uh, that sounds, makes me sound like a like a gosh darn uh, cartoon villain. Uh, <laughs> the I think overall you need to look at the overall skill of the opposing team, especially if it's newer players, and going, well, I'm pretty good with stick. Maybe I don't take a stick this game, or I'm a I have the perfect group of people to just spread the wealth perfectly and they're just going to destroy everything. Like, oh, hey, these uh, these monks, I'll give them troll blood, a tune, and, and lycanthropy. Or troll blood, a tune, uh, imbue weapon, what have you. Mm-hmm. And all these other things. And it's like, maybe don't even do that. <laughs> uh and it's to the point where you got to think i think it's a level once you realize you're good enough that you have to actually pull back your the effort on a smaller field you're like all right 
maybe you should like maybe you should just focus on control not even like ice ball control maybe entangles because ice ball is too powerful or something you know something along those lines mm-hmm. i would like to point out that because of you and vincent's power gaming it did push balder and i to try to metagame around you and it did push us to get better i balder and i are both exceptions to the rule because i know more people got mad than went how do i beat it which is somewhat of an ultimate problem of like you push out some people that are willing to dedicate their their time and livelihoods to like figure out how to beat the game and you push some people that are like i just come out here to swing stick and have fun and we've got to balance that 100 mm-hmm. percent. yeah Akuma, was there anything else you wanted to touch on since you were saying yeah. that you may have to leave? That way we can get whatever word you want to push in. Uh, go ahead and address it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm trying. Um, overall, I think I said most of my pieces. Um, the biggest thing for me, in my personal opinion, is at least with Druid, because of its variety, because of the options and you have in your kit, especially for these newer players who are, obviously right now with uh, COVID, we don't exactly have the ability to tell starry-eyed explanations of our favorite class. But if newer players or even people who just hit level 6 and are hoping to get back into the game, hit the floor running with Druid, try a little bit of everything we can do battlefield control, we can do warrior stuff, we can do assassin stuff, we can be one of the best supports in the game simply on the fact that we can give a wide variety of offensive and defensive enchantments. The So for me, in my personal opinion, it is the world is your oyster with druid. I, recommend, I can't recommend enough just trying a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I, that's, a, that's a good way to sum up a lot of uh, Druid's... It doesn't really have any problems. Druid's, like, overall power and uh, abilities around it. Um, if you get a charger, jump back in, because uh, we'd love to have you continue talking with us. Um, I lost my turn. Uh, I, it exploded. <laughs> I can continue with the uh, with the answer yeah. of like how do you, how do you prevent other people? Well, how do you prevent other people from losing their fun. I said, how do you prevent other people from having fun? <laughs> and that's not what we want. <laughs> yeah. But if that is what we wanted, then Druid would be a good class for that. But um, that's kind of the problem. Is that so? Druid is actually kind of uh, a little bit easier to nerf because one of the things that makes uh, druid amazing is because it's so versatile it has verbal uh, offensive verbals it has offensive spell balls it has some of the best enchantments in the game so i would say remove some of those things um in order in order to make druid weaker so so that you're challenging yourself like maybe you'll sit and but maybe you want to work on things too because you know you, you don't want to forget how how to go ham as a druid you know Mm-hmm. So you, you might say, like, I'm going to use spell balls in this game. I'm going to take ice ball. I'm going to take entangle. But I'm only going to throw them at people who are outside of 30 feet or something. Or find out what your range is and say, I'm only going to throw them at people outside of that. Because that way you're working on your long range throwing. Um, but you aren't being too effective while doing that. 
maybe you want to say um i'm only going to take the enchantments that nobody else really ta takes like gift of earth or gift of water maybe even gift of fire like i'm rare i rarely see those enchantments it's always the staple ones like stone skin or gift of air or stuff like that iron skin um so druids are really good thing Way, a really good class to uh, say, I'm going to work on my verbals this game, so I'm not going to take that much enchantments or spell balls. Or I'm going to work on my spell balls this game, so I'm not going to take enchantments or verbals. Hmm. Um, you can easily nerf yourself, at, but still work on your Paragon Hood uh, while being nerfed. I'll go ahead and echo that too. Like you can, um, you can focus on one thing. Like if you're really wanting to work on avatar nature, you can take, you know, like I said, um, stone skin and like 20 poisons for life. Cause after you expel that poison, you have to recharge it. Granted, it's not a big, you know, enchantment cast, but it is something you have to continually do. And you have to keep count of it. Um, if you take like five, then you, you need to realize that, Oh, okay, well I have my five, wounds kill things taken out so now i have to do something like maybe i have to block first and then get a kill or something mm -hmm. um there's a lot of like little goals that you can set also you could try and theme your your spell list so you are doing something like cads was talking about where you're trying to use lesser use spells because that maybe you find something that works really well for you for whatever reason like um maybe you're uh you know, typically a backline kind of caster. Maybe you decide that, you know what, I better try being a little more midline. Maybe I should try to be more upfront. Um, uh, maybe uh, if you're given, if you're doing kind of the spread the wealth strategy, maybe you dump um, one enchantment on somebody and learn how to keep them protected with your spells. Like uh, if it's just um, uh, like lycanthropy or something like that, whenever they get, uh, they're immune to what command. So if they get a subdual mm -hmm. spell on them, then make sure you're on top of the release very quickly, or maybe you swift release them to keep them busy going on. You're mending their armor as they go. You notice that they take a hit quickly, put the mend back on it. So while it's still really effective, it you're neutering yourself a little bit. And mm -hmm. and the big thing about how to make sure you're not ruining other people's fun is to, to kind of read the room. If that battle game, they, the other team looks super hopeless, then just play defense and don't put out the thing you were doing. Like, if you were giving enchantments out a lot, just hold them. Tell tell your team maybe you ran out of them or something, you know? <laughs> like, just to, to kind of... Ultimately, at local park, we need to make sure everybody's having fun because it's how our parks grow. Um, but that shouldn't also take away from your fun either. Mm -hmm. um, just if, if it's a close game, affect the game maybe a little bit more. If mm -hmm. it's a, a, you know, just a complete smash on your team, just, just step back a little bit. If you've got only a dagger, go try and fight people with your dagger more often or something. Um, and to what you were saying, uh, don't just always play the neutered class. Go be the big Billy badass you are every now and then, like once mm -hmm. a month or something like that, right? Because you're, you're doing your park a disservice to some degree if you don't do that because they don't understand or won't learn how to uh, counter those things. So do it on occasion because it is still good for the growth of your park uh, as far as going to events or something like that. Just don't do it all the time. Yeah, it's a it's a good way to, to try to like sharpen 
some people and get them used to that and that they know that this is a capability and something they have to be prepared for when the time comes. And I think, mm-hmm. I think to that, I'd also put it out like in the local chat or the whatever, like, Hey, I'm going to try real hard this week. This yeah. That's my a real list. good idea. Um, I know that was something I did with uh, Balder and Broton when I was going hard, I would hand them my list and be like, this is what I'm going to use against you. Try to beat me. And if I still beat them after they knew what I was doing, that that was more power. And if, if we can keep that up in multiple classes and everything else where you hand over your essentially like what you're doing and your, your battle plan and then see what people stand up against it, you'll push them to, I mean, even take that next step to try to become Paragon possibly and be like, I can, I know how to beat this now. I'm going to take it to the next level. And then they're not scared when they see it on the field. Yeah. And uh, to play off of that too, like if you guys, if it's the two of you and you're always on the opposite teams, you're looking to counter each other through the class and stuff like that, share the, uh, you know, this week I share my focus list and then next week you share your focus list or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you build a list to directly counter it. And so not only do they have the counter for it, then you get to work on the timing of applying those abilities. Like if you're doing a summoner's build and you're trying to time uh, when to put an enchantment on somebody instead of just starting the game and heave ho, here's all my enchantments dump, uh, making sure that like maybe giving the first objective is the better option to then crash that objective in the next one in the ne- in, in the next life or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So you have a, a bit of push and pull, even if you have a neutered list or a, a very specialized list, I guess is a better look at it. Or with Druid, just go and look at what the strengths of, of another class is and be like, oh, you know, I was thinking about playing, you know, Monk next. So then go look at Monk and how do you cheat your spells to make it look like you're playing Monk or something like that. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to build up of build on what was saying before what was said before is that if you go really go ham every once in a while and say and say i'm really going to try this week and you announce it some newbies um even if they're on the other side and get smashed by you might say like that is what that class is capable of yeah i want to try that class that's awesome Mm. and (laughs) um because that's that's actually happened to me before is that i went to an event um it was it was a discord and i went ham uh playing druid in v7 all weekend and, and i had people come up to me and say like i thought druid was terrible and i gave the class up i'm gonna pick it up again after seeing you mm-hmm. so <laughs> it, it like going ham can produce interest in the game you just don't want to do it you know all the time right right there's a time and place and if you plan for it it works out better than like crushing your park's hopes um, yes it, it's it's uh this is this is not the anti-paladin paragon <laughs> this, that's different and later um yeah it's i know it's it's a conversation that i really enjoy having about how do we get better and not ruin people's fun and i think it has to be had across all levels of amp guard on for all paths like how do we continue to try to practice how to get better without making other people feel inferior and Mm -hmm. if you're you know high level warrior you definitely got to tone down your stick game every once in a while on the field if you're that high level you've got like nine or ten uh orders in one of the serpent paths maybe you don't take part in your parks uh ans tournaments every time making sure that your park grows yeah Yeah. yes making sure that your part grows is our number one responsibility as a player or leader of any kind 
we want to make sure our game grows and gets bigger. Um, Hog's got a quote that is, if you're not growing, you're shrinking. So mm-hmm. keep growing, keep getting bigger, finding ways to keep people excited and in the game is always beneficial. Yeah, and I, I've... I've heard the uh, another form of that is if you're not recruiting, you're dying. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the same thing. Yep. Yeah. So coming from a park that literally has uh, went from like a, a 10 or 15 when we first started Radiant Valley uh, many, many moons ago to growing to like a 30 plus park every weekend kind of thing. And then going back to a three or four person every weekend park thing, I can a hundred percent tell you that if you travel too much or you focus too much on one thing, you will kill your park. So Mm -hmm. please, please pay attention to everyone that's going on, uh, what's going on and, and ask your new people what they find uh, more, more fun and try to tailor your, your, your fun and, and everything like that towards them, at least to some degree so that they feel like they're doing something. Um, and when, if you're a champion or something, tailor your games so that the newer people don't just feel like they're crushed to, um, the, the veterans of the game. Um, because you can play like ding the bell or something like that, where the new player might skirt around the edge and then go get a point because they, they, you know, fell into the background cause, ah, we don't need to pay attention to the new guy. And then all of a sudden they come ring the bell and then they have this like magical moment of, Hey, I was the hero for the day. Right. Mm-hmm. So allow those opportunities to happen. And, I, and I'm not saying like, Oh, just give them the point or something. Cause they'll read that too. Um, but allow them to have the opportunity for it. Yeah. We all want to be the hero of our story. Sometimes as mm-hmm. we grow in the game, we learn we're not really the hero, but we can fight to be. And it's, it's more rewarding when you make that challenge, at least for me, it's more rewarding when yeah. you make that challenge and you're like, I, I overcame the problem and I did it. Um, Kumo's back. Yay. Uh, Yay. So getting uh, to our next question, um, which we talked about a little bit earlier. We're just going everywhere in this. All right. Combos of <laughs> archetypes. Um, what are some of you guys' favorite combos of the archetypes? Because Druid just does it better in combos overall. Like, I can't everybody else I'm a paragon bard and I'll be like I'll use combat caster and dervish and then I like kick myself a little bit for doing one because I miss out on other equipment it was it becomes problematic but druid does it well what do you what do you guys use as combos or what are some of the like benefits of the combos combos I've seen that work really well are um in the like the ultimate his stick jock build is Avatar of Nature and Ranger, where you take a bunch of weapons, enchant yourself, and just beat beat people up. Um, there's also a lot of merit in taking almost no combos, and um, then you can like you're not um, you're not taking summoner, so you're not that limited on weapons. And this is a r- really good one uh, for if you have a buddy druid. Like there's. One of my favorite comp, one of my favorite ta- uh, tactics to play druid is what we call the buddy cop <laughs> druid, where you have a you golem each other, you stack enchantments on each other, you buy weapons, and you can't really do that if you take uh, summoner because you nerf each other's weapons, and you can't really do that if you take ranger because you can't afford all the enchantments. So uh, my favorite way of playing druid is no archetypes and use the use the versatility to its fullest that's cool kumo is have fun uh, go ahead kumo if you've got charge man Uh-oh. oh we are not hearing you kumo 
I'll go ahead and answer uh, okay. my, mine while he's uh, working on yeah. it. So um, I actually really like Summoner um, because I can pretty much be in somebody's pocket or a couple of people's pocket and help them out. Um, I One of my main combos in, in traditional fighting is two sticks, so I don't feel as limited as other people might whenever I take Summoner. Um, but Kaz is 100% right. Like, it, whatever... Uh, whatever combo you like as far as fighting style goes, you can kind of bend your archetypes and what and the combos of those archetypes to uh, address that. Um, you know, like if you want to play with a bow, you have to take ranger. Um, and I think arguably the better way to do that is just solo ranger and then take all the other utility spells. Um, and uh, I mean, you can technically take it, but as Cad's pointed out, if you're just trying to take it because you save points on a polearm or something like that, you probably are better off to just take um, buy out right the polearm than it is to just use uh, ranger for the polearm itself. Um, so uh, again, like like you said, uh, uh, Avatar and Nature and Summoner don't really mix that much because you're having to pay too many for unless you're just specializing on um, dispelling. Couple... Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just the demags. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, like. No archetype is actually a very valid, you know, thing for for Druid too. So um, I'd have to say my favorite is realistically uh, Summoner with two sticks um, because you can play, like you said, the buddy cop thing. And for me, having two stick and armor and uh, you know wounds kill or whatever um, from another Druid, it doesn't really matter. Like the the setup, the normal kind of you know stone skin and wounds kill or like amphitrophy and another thing. Or even even like stone skin and bear strength, uh, and just kind of roll down the line and bust every shield that you see um, is really kind of fun too. So uh, it's really hard to pick a true favorite other than, for me other than just Sumner because I love making my friends do all the work instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> Spread it out. Yeah. Could we you can also. Oregon? Did we get it? Oh, it doesn't look like we have it yet. No. Oh well. Uh, hopefully she gets it, her stuff back. Um, so, combining summoner and ra and ranger is a very kind of a niche role. It's yeah. it's kind of I want um, I want a bow, <laughs> but I also want to support my team. Um, to that note, if you're if you're, you can also be, I want a bow. I want a, lots of enchantments and I want to be really selfish. And that's, <laughs> that's when you buy all three archetypes. I'm not sure if that's a good idea, but you can do it. <laughs> I mean, if you want to do it, you technically can. I do enjoy the fact that you can do kind of a weird, some weird wonky combinations and it still doesn't like hamstring you as bad as it could in other classes where like, if you do battle mage, uh, warlock for wizard, you're running. You just like quickly... what four spells you can yeah, use. Or... <laughs> yeah, very, if you do um, warder and necromancer, you get nothing basically. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's there's some real bad combos that you could literally just be like, I am playing a stick today. That is what I, I have. I think evoker and warlock makes it. It just doesn't work because elemental barrage. You know, you can't cast it as a warlock. So. <laughs> All right, Kumo, let's see. Let's, let's try this again. Did you get your audio to work? 
Nope. Uh, it doesn't look like it. Uh, you might try re-logging real fast, man. It might be that. Um, yeah, you might just want to close it and reopen it. That might be the, the best way to get it to work. Um, what was the... We're on the combos of archetypes. Um, I don't think... Anything else in the combos of archetypes? Or like... So, you guys pointed out that the no archetype is potentially re like really good which is unusual for most of the caster classes if you're not taking an archetype with bard or wizard or healer you're probably missing out i mean like healer there's almost no reason not to take priest because it's literally free it costs yeah. you one point it's one point to cap to get heal and you get heal for free it's a really i don't like the math behind that it makes me mad <laughs> yeah it's so it's just like oh they get a free thing why can't i have one yeah, like, we also don't have like that throwaway archetype that wasn't either well thought or maybe not thought on enough mm -hmm. um, when it was designed, um, and that's really kind of busted for the class in some ways too. You know, um, like so, Warlock. Yeah, <laughs> Warlock was real hot for like a week when V8 started, and everyone's like, "It's amazing! You get a bunch of finger deaths." And then we're like, "Oh yeah, but Elemental Barrage gets forty balls," and they just yeah. Like, Throw them. Or lives don't matter, so you yeah. burn yourself out, and then oh, I'm useless. I, uh, I can't I can, push the objective anymore. Yeah. I can take all these restrictions and get four and get eight fingers of death. But if I don't take that restriction, I get six fingers of death and cells. And just, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a weird like it's a weird thing. And not taking an archetype in most of the casters. Like Bard, if you don't take an archetype, you're you're missing out on almost forty points of spells because like mm -hmm. you double your stuff, especially if you take Empower, you play Restoration and things like that. As a Bard, if you don't take Dervish and your support, you missed out on a ton of points. If you didn't take, I mean, Combat Casters is becoming less useful because we're learning better ways to cast and fight, and like opening your shield hand or just stepping back a foot or whatever. Um, but like healers, uh, if you don't take ward or priest or necromancer, you're missing out on a lot of potential where druid, you've got still all the potential. All right, Kumo, let's try this again. That's it. One, yeah. Two, it's, it's choppy, but it's, we have audio. Yeah. It's not great. Okay. Um, so. Just try to be quick if it's shop. Be honest. And then, um, that's a personal favorite. I have to do a combo. Would probably have to be somewhere along the lines of somewhere else. Okay, Kumo, you might want to also, rotate okay. your uh, your audio mic because it's coming through real. Or the the audio jack, rotate that to see if it's that's the problem. Because um, you're coming through in like quick little bursts and then nothing and then a burst. You, you sound like uh, Jarvis getting eaten by Ultron. That's a good rendition, <laughs> yeah. Good. There are no strings, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was really oh, uh, creepily close. Uh huh. How's uh, so no. Uh, It's still kind of choppy. Oh, I didn't get any of that. Okay, all right. You can feel free to comment and things like that in the chat if you still have comments. Absolutely. Okay. 
Okay. Um, yep. Bye. Uh, Combos of types you just finished. Okay. So we talked about this a little bit, and then we found out that no one does bow casting very much. So we're going to talk a little abstractly on this. Bow casting, bow and casting, how to manage. Because I'm going to be 100% honest. I have no ability to, like, pick a target for casting and pick targets for bows because they're different targets. I freeze up and go what am I picking? And I just fail at that, that, uh, tactic. What do you got? Do you guys have any answers for that? Or is it just a work on it? Probably a thing to, to start doing would be to pick a target for your verbal and you'd have like, and extend your verbal and start casting your verbal, you know, extend blah, 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 blah. And then, um, just kind of, it's kind of like muscle memory. Like you, you continue your verbal and then you knock an arrow and shoot. But I've never seen anyone able to do that. Um, like I'll, not even, not even dire does that. And I think that would be uh, potentially pretty good. Mm-hmm. What I've seen uh, in terms of bow casting is using, um, you using, naturalized magic to just remove enchantments and then shoot at them to so like they have magic armor okay remove that then shoot them they have protection from projectiles remove it then shoot them mm-hmm. that's that's pretty much where um where bow casting comes into play so. i think he mentioned also that you if you're dexterous enough uh you can uh charge an ice ball and keep it charged with you uh, as you're shooting, because you're not actually throwing it or discharging it because you're not dropping it or anything, you can continue to shoot. And if you get rushed uh, by someone who's not immune to subdual, then you can just kind of uh, underhand the the ice ball at someone as well. So uh, it, it is kind of like a target acquisition problem, um, I feel like. Uh, and I think, as far as I understand, yeah, mostly it's kind of naturalized magic and picking apart good flanking targets uh, who have enchantments and then just shooting them uh, is seemingly the thing to do about it. Um, I can't remember the list fully off the top of my head because I've not been able to practice it because like COVID came around about the time I decided that I was going to try to get good at it. (laughs) So (laughs) I didn't get much chance uh, on the field with it. I did cheat a little bit prior to it. Um, uh, Hogman definitely had a better um, critical thinking job on the list with it. Um, than I did when I was messing around with the pistol crossbows. Um, so that's also, I guess, kind of an option, but it's not near as good as a real bow, uh, I don't think, anyway. The only big upside is that you're always ready to shoot, and that is kind of an empty threat in some ways uh, to people, and they take it as a bigger threat than it should be. Yeah, on our, our last and- episode, we had archers, and they were talking about just walking around with a knocked arrow is the same thing as shove. And yeah, I mean, it kind of is <laughs> just like they don't want to get shot. And now that I think about it, you can't, you can't, you can't, even, even though I had the theory, you can't, uh, really with a, with a standard bow, at least you can't like cast a spell and then shoot somebody else because now you're both, your hands are occupied. You don't have mm-hmm. a free hand. One of your hands uh, holding the arrow, one of the hands holding the bow. Yeah. As long as, as long as your other hand's not touching it. So you, you cast a spell and then immediately shoot afterwards without it in your hand. Like you have it knocked, but balanced in the one hand on the, on the bow itself. Yeah. You're using your, your um, right hand dominant. So if I'm using my right hand to quote unquote cast and not be on the string, then mm-hmm. it should be fine. But, um, 
yeah, it's kind of difficult. Uh, but I think it is something that would be well worth. I've un uh, like Hogman has been at uh, his, uh, several Winter's Edge events and has played his um, Bow Druid, but for whatever reason, I was usually doing some sort of service thing and didn't get to see it. And I've been really disappointed that I haven't been able to see him in action because I've, I I saw the list and I understand the theory about it, but I need to see it in practice to really understand fully about it. So maybe maybe even having like a uh, uh, asterisk. Uh, Paragon Druid thing and pull Hogman aside and get his take on Bow Druid alone might be worth going through. Well, so if as far as I understand, he's got all the boxes checked besides like, um, th they're basically just saying no to him, the Circle of Paragons, because they don't like the way that list works and they want to see him use other lists and also have like a full yeah. outfit. And it's like, that's, I'm, eh. I can understand the full outfit aspect yeah. because, but the, the other list thing, I don't mind. Like I, I did say, I'd like to see your knowledge about it, which mm -hmm. is fine. But it, uh, there's a point where you as a circle, I feel like have to realize that if somebody's being dominant playing a class, even though you're, there's just shooting a bow or whatever, if they're using any ability in that class, effectively, they're showing you that there's a different style of play that you haven't thought about. And I think that's a really big note to take. Yeah. Um, Absolutely agreed. Yeah. Um, now I think in my, in my eye, Hogman, Dyer Barker, he's a Paragon Druid. Not like, not even maybe. Mm -hmm. I mean, I Again, get annoyed by him. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say specifically cause I haven't been able to see him, but every time he's come to play on the field, uh, I know that there's been several of our Paragons who said, why aren't you a Paragon yet? And so I trust them as well. So I'm good with saying that he's pretty much there anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things. Um, Kumo wrote, uh, if I was to pick an archetype combo summoner or summoner of nature, which is summoner plus avatar of nature. It's a devastatingly simple archetype to use. Just get two sticks or a stick and a shield and give yourself a few good enchantments for the majority of the game. I mean, it's a good point. I've seen a lot of, um, uh, some of the early Phoenix League druids were running that combo because you had enough enchantments that, like, you lost two points in a sec. Like, instead of just mending yourself back up, you just canceled and popped another one and just kept running because it yeah. swift nothing. enchantments too. So yeah. you know, if they're if it's in the middle of something, you can cancel the stone skin and then swift it back on. Basically, it's a it's an inefficient use of spells per se, but if it's needed, it's needed. Yeah, and, and like a short. I mean, if you have the summoner, um you've got a lot of those enchantments or you've got m at least multiple copies of some of those enchantments. So in a small fast game like Phoenix league, where you have the opportunity to burn through the 30 spells or whatever, it might be worth it. Um, mm -hmm. Again, objective, objective, objective. Yeah, objective. Picking like... the objectives <laughs> is important. Mm -hmm. um, back to bow casting. Uh, yeah. Uh, Hogman is busy, unfortunately. I really th should have thought about trying to drag him in earlier, but he is busy. He's got a come try LARP thing going on. Um, yeah. Uh, I will try to pull him in for something, but his list is phenomenal. Like, mm -hmm. the idea of just... And it's, it's kind of important to think about the purpose behind each list. And it's something I think a lot of earlier players don't realize is that when you build a list, you have to have a purpose in mind. And it's the reason why Paragons have booklets of lists is we are, we're not making an everything list. We're making a list for this game. We're making a list for this scenario. We're making a list for this group of friends playing. It's a lot harder to make a jack-of-all-trades list 
because it's bad. Yeah, my uh, the last Paragon I pushed for was Wizard, and I had a like uh, in my spell bag. I had like twelve different lists that were like just folded up pieces of paper that I would make right before a game, mm-hmm. and it got pretty ridiculous. <laughs> I was like, oh, and it got to the point where it's like this game. Um, this the, that list I made three weeks ago would be perfect. So now I have to root around in the bottom of my bag for it. <laughs> so yeah, it's very normal to create a list just for a game. Hmm. Uh, I'll kind of go back to the, you know the difference between level six and Paragon. Um, you can kind of make an analogous statement to like Magic the Gathering and net decking. You know, any Joe Schmo can go spend enough money to make whatever standard monster deck that's net decked but only someone who's actually good at the game can uh, take that deck and actually pilot it. And in a way, that's kind of the same thing for level six versus Paragon, right? Like someone can play, have the same list that you do, but you do better because you make better decisions. Mm-hmm. Choosing and, and picking and tactics is, is super important, especially if you have a limited list. If your list is, uh, you've decided to, to neuter yourself a little bit and you know you only have the two stone skins the the one something was you picking and choosing those uses is vitally important to make sure that uh you get the most out of your abilities or the person you're giving them to gets the most out of that ability instead of well it'll work here like it doesn't it doesn't happen as often to make it beneficial um but uh hogman's list is a single target list with the idea that you find enchantments you remove them and then you kill the owner and because of the way um our game is starting to move a little bit there's a lot less physical armor on the field which is an unfortunate thing everyone that can wear armor should wear armor um if it's too hot talk to your champion about doing something else and get a system of cheaper versions or something whatever uh but if you can wear armor, you should wear armor because if we don't, we end up with the problem that we rely on enchantments too much and then we end up relying on spellcasters too much and then you see the side effect of the archer is king because no one wears armor and they can just one-shot 90% of the field. It's, it's That's, That really is the rough thing about trying to balance a game as big as ours realistically. Mm-hmm. And, and, and on top of that, one that we play physically mm-hmm. um, because on paper maybe the spell combo or whatever seems really busted but it ends up being really hard to actually do on field so it's something that it's very hard for a game designer to come up with um and you know yeah like i i really really try to push if i'm playing another class like assassin or something like that um then i try to have the physical armor even Mm -hmm. though it's kind of detrimental because it's like, oh, well, you know, I can get stone skin from my buddy Druid. So it's basically the same thing and honestly better in some ways. But there are other lives uh, that you don't have that option for. So maybe the the look in V9 is is physical armor and magical armor can mix, but uh, it just takes precedence on the magical armor or something like that. So you don't have someone who's got chain and then be like oh well someone's gonna give me stone skin so i don't ever have to bring that on field or something like that mm-hmm. yeah it's it's a it's a legitimate problem that I, I i guess it is a game design problem as much as it is a like money problem is it's expensive some some armor is expensive other armors aren't unfortunately most of our low level armor like gambeson is r- relatively cheap it just 
either takes a skilled crafter to make it right or you have to buy it. Um, Chainmail is really cheap, but if you're playing... Yeah, it can be really cheap if you make it yourself. Um, like, Chainmail could be 60 bucks for a whole kit if you want to make it yourself. But mm-hmm. dedicating that time is time-consuming. That takes a lot of time. It takes yeah. a lot of time. Your hands will get really strong, but it takes a while. Um, or a week, depending on the carpal tunnel. It's <laughs> right. true. <laughs> Take frequent breaks when making Chainmail. But... Like, leather is really expensive to buy and make all around, and it's the armor that fits most classes, which I think is problematic. Yeah, so I honestly don't ever really advocate for leather because it is so expensive. Um, I actually advocate for either aluminum chain or chain in general Mm -hmm. um, because you're probably going to spend the same amount or less, get more points out of and cover more classes because of it. it. Yeah. Um, And if you're using aluminum chain and your kingdom's taking the negative two, which arguably is or is is the way it should be um or or the even the shark mail where i don't know some kingdoms say it's one some people say it's nothing or whatever so like make sure you know what kingdom you're in as far yeah. as their stance on that kind of stuff but like again i you know i have 14 gauge aluminum um uh chain and it's light enough weight that it doesn't really cause a problem it's two points or three points depending upon who's rating it basically um, cause I use smaller rings so you can make the argument that it's a tighter weave or something. So mm-hmm. it's just a, who's, who's, you know, rating things. Um, and I guess that in alone and of itself is kind of the downside to armor as well. Cause you don't know who, how people are going to rate your armor from, you know, rain to rain or something right. like that too. Um, but again, it's cheaper. It flat out is cheaper than leather. Mm-hmm. I feel like. Hopefully we see a change of that in the future of like, uh, either going towards the historical style where we kind of don't really care what it's made of. We just want it to make it look correct. And when it looks correct, it applies to either like light, medium, or heavy armor, and we make it simpler. Yeah. Um, Man, I, I would yeah. love to see it just be light, medium, and heavy, and it's two, four, and six. That's yeah. the, all, all the yeah, points very that you simple. ever before. Right, it's simple. Mm-hmm. It, it Even the math works out the same effectively that we're having to deal with now. Mm-hmm. Um, if heavy armor just deals with the once it's busted out of heavy the points so heavy at six it takes two shots to bring it down to four mm-hmm. and then the third one brings it to three armor breaking still works correctly the same way we already have it set up so like the two four six thing and just call the armor rating at either two four and six makes sense to me but maybe I'm oversimplifying things so <laughs> it depends on how we pursue our game and that's a conversation that's actively going on in some v9 channel at the moment they're having yeah. that mm-hmm. discussion what what our future armor is going to be how simple do we want to make it and how inclusive do we want to make it mm-hmm. we'll see what happens in the future um comes of archetypes we did bone casting uh yeah we jump in a little bit we jump in. <laughs> that is fine this is a discussion we are going to have a discussion um uh how does team comp change your style of play we touched on this a little bit before where like if you have those people that know how to use an enchantment or know exactly what the enchantment does um they're probably going to be the ones you target uh but even going farther does team comp matter in classes or because i up up here in polaris um we have a bad habit of handing either a monk sash or a barbarian sash to new players and that leads a lot of them to not be able to take enchantments. And if you've got a druid and you're a summoner, you look at all those white sashes on your team and go, <laughs> well, 
Oops. I guess I'm playing Avatar of Nature. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, um, it depends on, I guess, the culture of when you choose to make your list in a kingdom. I always look at it that I'm making a list uh, before I'm picked for a team. Mm -hmm. So I usually try to pay, take a list that's a little less specialized on, like, say... Uh, I know I'm going to have my buddy who's playing Monk, so I'm going to take the Iron Skin and Wounds Kill and uh, Attune and maybe Golem and some other thing, you know, whatever, uh, that kind of thing. So I can't rely on that. So I take a little more either greedy where I'm paying, playing Avatar or Nature if I don't want to think too much, to be honest. Um, or I take a kind of spread out thing so that I'm be like, okay, well, I've got a bunch of warriors and the, the healers on my team don't have enough uh, enchantments to go around, so this guy's my buddy and this guy's my buddy. Uh, it makes it a little easier. So team comp is not really something I take into consideration as much as maybe I should, um, but that's just because how I look at when my spell list gets created and how I apply it to the game. Cads? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, pretty much, pretty much all of that. Um, if you have a bunch of barbarians in your team, obviously playing summoner is not the way to go. Uh, you definitely w would want to pick Avatar of Nature and work on that, or uh, maybe <laughs> do depending on. And this kind of combines with what we were talking about earlier of nerfing yourself for your team. Maybe you want to play a no enchantments druid, and yeah, that's definitely nerfing yourself because enchantments are definitely the specialization of druid. But maybe I will only want to take stuff like icy blast and um, heat weapon and stuff like that. So it just, <laughs> yeah, don't undervalue heat weapon either. That's a good spell. <laughs> Absolutely. During the uh, the Polaris thing, I was on the other side. Uh, I was on. They're excited because I always fight with my fighting company in that. And when it and I was mostly helping run the event, but I got to play in one battle game. And in that one battle game, I played a wizard who took like 20 heat weapons. <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting when you notice if you travel a lot, you find out which parks know what heat weapon is and which parks don't. Because as soon as you start hearing... I call upon like somebody puts their sword behind the shield and they hide it. So you can't see it. And they're like, you are not getting me this time. And they know that. And the other ones, they stand there and they come still come running at you and you finish the incant. And they drop, they don't know to drop the sword yet or whatever. It's, it's very interesting seeing the different reactions to that spell in particular. Cause it's, it's either, you know what's going on or you have no idea and you're about to get wrecked. I mean, it mm -hmm. can be used as a combo to kill people because if you mm -hmm. know that they are going to hide their weapon or something like that too, that means their guard's weak on that side. So if your buddy's got a polearm, you can start casting <laughs> on them, they hide the thing, and they just jack them. It's really good. <laughs> Utilize it correctly. And our game has uh, a really good feature that friends make everything better. If you have yes. a buddy, teamwork makes the dream work. Like, there are some ridiculous combos that happen in our game between different classes that if you find them and use them, you will break games often. Like, mm -hmm. straight up, it happens. Um, and it's it's something that I've complained about in the past and also been really excited about. It depends on which side I'm on. Um, it, How it big happens. the game is, too. Yeah. I mean, a if it's a big games, game, I love it, right? Mm -hmm. But the smaller games, um, it can be a problem. I, I often wondered uh, that 
if we don't somehow or another manage our spell points for casters in a aspect of like if there's 20 people in total in the battle game then you can only have access to these spells or something weird like that but Mm -hmm. that's just another level like of development to you that's really difficult well i know um it was a proposal that didn't go through for the rules rep it was called turtle and involved archetypes for the martial classes and made them more similar to casters where they had options instead of just like here's your stuff i hope it's enough Everyone mm-hmm. complains that Druid is overpowered, and I would uh, I would agree with them. Um, but I don't think we should nerf Druid too much. I think we take a small step out of it, and then we bring all of the other classes, and I mean martial classes as well, into mm-hmm. in stride with Druid. Because I think Druid is actually where the game is the most successful, because everyone feels good about their Druid build, mm-hmm. um, even if it's a meta or non-meta list. And so I think that trying to give the choice to all the other classes, Marshall as well, then I think we are on a better step. But that's my personal opinion about it. From a game design perspective, I'd agree with you. Like, um, I think World of Warcraft found a lot of success that if something, if there was one class that was like seemingly more powerful than other classes, they would only really nerf a class if there was something that was like just broken and unintendedly powerful about that class, that mm-hmm. they would nerf that specific thing. But most of the time they'd be like, okay, this class is overpowered because this class sucks. Well, let's make that class not suck. Let's bring all the, yeah. let's make every class awesome. Right. Diablo's had a similar, I mean, they're owned by the same company. Blizzard's done the same thing over and over again. They introduce a new class. That new class is now the only thing in S rank at all. And they have to figure out how to fix it. And their answer to fixing it is at a zero to everything that the other classes do. Because I know they did that for Diablo 3 when they introduced the Necromancer. S tier was only Necromancer. And everybody else was below that. And their answer was, just multiply all their damage by like three and we'll be fine. And it worked. <laughs> but it's it's one of those design features we have to figure out. And it's I think it's also a side effect of our game's uh, tendencies and culture. Because from V eight point or V seven point five to V eight, we had a huge culture shift in five minute deaths to thirty second deaths, and that yeah. dramatically changes the way we play the game. Per lives mean so much more because they're now mm-hmm. they're not you know one time every eight to twelve minutes. They're fifteen times in twelve minutes. If yeah. like it, it's a huge change, and we haven't we haven't figured out a great way to answer that problem. Um, it's weird because it's a game design problem as well and and I don't mean from the rules I mean from you as a champion or whoever's running the games themselves like there so Radiant Valley kind of died and came back uh, for V8 to some degree Um, and so I was trying to push to get battle games played again and everyone was like was stuck on uh, on the the life count type thing as far as like you know it used to be you know first level barbarian had like three lives or something like that right Mm -hmm. so everyone was stuck on oh i died so you know and i'm like listen we don't have lives anymore guys we just have the objective pay attention to the objective this is objectionally a better design on at least a local park level but there is some merit to like the life count things because there is consequences for a death happening whereas there's less consequences now depending upon if your your objectives are designed well or not yeah it it puts a lot more it shifted a lot of the meta and 
really deep thought on what the effects were from the players to the designers of those games like Mm -hmm. you had to choose how they respawn you and obviously for parks it's a lot of fun to have a 30 second respawn because everyone's on the field all the time it's it's great it changes the way the, the classes work it changes the way everything else functions because they were not designed to be used that way and mm-hmm. we've, we've not i mean so some of the answers that i've seen are like cc and and states and everything like that are half of whatever the respawn is because that makes it the worst case scenario is mm-hmm. death is still the worst case scenario and that seems to work on some cases but it doesn't answer the problem of like it, it puts awe and um uh terror and, and or go agoraphobia and things like that in these bigger positions because now they're still control but they're not death but they're almost worse because you can't do anything like you're yeah. stuck with it um it's interesting. I don't know. I don't have a good answer for it. It's. it's I like the respawn mechanics being changed to some degree. Um, okay. Like I, I really like the way Phoenix League does the um, basically bench right, mm-hmm. like a like a hockey team in a way. Yeah. Um, so I like that one because you're constantly revolving people around and they're still having to take their counts uh, correctly as far as deaths and stuff like that go, um, or at least closer to what yeah. the rule book is. Not exactly. I don't remember what the number is off the top of my head because I haven't played a while. Um, but, uh, I think that's a, a very clever way to get around some of the time frames while still making sure everything is meaningful. Cause that's really where we have problems is making sure that things maintain their meaningfulness, mm-hmm. uh, when we get death counts into it, uh, being shorter. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that I kind of, this is me actually talking to Magnus and we were kind of come up with ways uh, to either nerf classes or make classes uh, better is casters classes are still uh, by and large generally more powerful than fighting classes, especially when it comes to fighting classes like assassin or scout, mm-hmm. like casters are just playing better than those. Um, one of the ways that we, said hey maybe we should like kind of nerf caster but not like get rid of their abilities or anything like that is simply make it so casters have a higher death count and they have like (laughs) some casters a have a death count and b have a res timer meaning even if you resurrect them they have to wait like maybe 10 seconds before they come back up that way like if you're a caster you don't want to die you know and 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 on the same token if you're on the other team, uh, killing casters matters no matter what. Interesting. That's I really like. I might play with that as far as a thing at local park if we can ever meet again. That's uh, <laughs> that's an interesting thing. I like that. Yeah, I liked it. Too. I liked it a lot too. <laughs> it's interesting. It's a. It puts a lot of cha- like. It just makes my gears start moving. Of like, oh, this is tactically. We do this. We can change this stuff up because. Currently, the real penalty to resurrect is you don't get your pearl lives back. That's the real penalty. The trade-off is that you don't have to spend basically any time at respawn. You just are back up, but you don't have your pearl lives. In a larger battle game, especially like Keep or uh, um, what's a big event that you guys have in Winter's Edge or Neverwinter or anything like that, Teflon? Uh, Anna's Symposium, uh, Arts and Science Symposium was uh, one of our biggest events. Um unfortunately we had some like uh 
uh, enter kingdom politics nonsense that happened mm-hmm. that kind of killed one of our bigger events. It was Crystalline Chronicles, which was like a kind of like a Knoblander, but maybe not as it's definitely not as big as Knoblander, but something mm-hmm. similar to it, like where it's the um, when you're awake, the game's on kind of gotcha. thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so something of those larger sizes where we're, where if you've got a res bot, you've also got a battery bard, and it doesn't matter if you die or you get resurrected, somebody will give you your shit back. And it yeah, it doesn't like it comes to the point that you don't care about dying anymore because there are people dedicated to making sure that you don't care. Like the only thing you really have a hard time getting back is your refresh abilities. Um, if they're not chargeable. If they're chargeable, you just go ask the bard for a confidence or something and they give it <laughs> yeah. to you. Like, we literally have an entire build based around making sure everyone else has their stuff. And it it's interesting seeing how when we have those potentials and we have those backups, we really don't care about death at all. Like, to the point that people are throwing themselves on spears to try to get one shot in on a point of armor and then running back and then doing it again because they're Mm -hmm. alive immediately they didn't lose anything they're whatever um i don't know i don't have i don't have good answers for it because it's it's tricky yeah it really is and like you had said it it, the onus becomes on the game designer Mm -hmm. which i think uh is where we struggle a little bit because we're just now even i don't remember how long ago uh v8 came out we're just now really starting to get good games designed um uh for our rule set and we're talking about wanting to change it and i think that's where the kind of short-sightedness of the big push we need v9 now kind of thing happened um but at the same time without deaths like a life count like a true life count for each class or whatever um not being in the rules anymore it's very difficult and arguably because the way the rules are set up, I wouldn't want life counts overall. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to do some kind of balancing where death matters, but it doesn't matter so much that you can't just take a team and just bash people to death. You have to still play the the mechanics of the gameplay. Yeah. And that is a really hard thing to balance. Yeah. It'll be a trick for people. I mean, yeah, we've had it. Oh, oh. Is 2015 when V8 came out? think so yeah That's, I, I, right. I i was on a break when it came out so i don't okay. remember the i think exact it was date. 2015 because i came out like two or three weeks after they officially made it a thing and i started in 2015 um gotcha yeah five years and we're now having legit like games is not like a good Lee, ratio yeah phoenix lee came out what like two years ago I don't remember. Maybe it's three. More than that. Yeah, it's more like three. Because I'm, yeah, it it was more than that. Because uh, um, my team stack deck, they they, we became our the first time we won the uh, the whole national champion thing was 2017. Okay, Okay. so it was out for two two years, three years, one or two. Yeah, so I think it was out for a bit before that. So I want to say it was it's been out for four years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's still like a year or two um, after before. Yeah, a year or two after the rule set came out, before someone came up with a really decent rule set. There are arguably there are downsides to it, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, I think it's still a very interesting 
thing to play and in an interesting game design overall there are elements of that game that can be applied to like the normal local games like i like using the bench system mm-hmm. for a normal game just even if it's capture the flag or something like that because your deaths matter um because you don't have as many players on the field but it's not so much that uh someone can just bash down a team and come to do an objective you know i mean yeah. you can but it's tricky. when when V8 first came out, I saw a lot, and when people were even when it was in its playtesting phases, I saw a lot of parks that were like full-time dish parks, screw class battle games, turn into battle game parks within like a few months. And mm-hmm. I saw that, and I was like, "There's going to be a competitive because uh, this is a lot more popular, and more and more people are playing class games. There's going to be a competitive thing about the, about this, and." I can picture like class battle gaming either becoming like, you know, a way to an, a fifth belt or another path to sword belt. And that's just part going to be part of the culture as class more competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting seeing this transition and it's, I, so I have only been in the game for five years, but my knight Michael's been, for, forever <laughs> um it's been a bit he's been in it for a while and i get to hear all these stories and stuff and it's really weird thinking about the fact that we went from v7.5 to v8 and now five years later we're like we need v9 now and it's that's the fastest transition we've ever had besides before in v4 and stuff like that when people weren't really playing by the same rules it was all kind of just general <laughs> things well, the longest chaos. rule set was like v6 v from v like after uh like the transition from v7 to v8 was not as long as v6 to v7 v6 mm-hmm. was out for like a ton of time yeah and it's it's different to see the answer like the the responses to it but it's interesting to see that across the board people like v8 better than they like v7 as a whole Mm -hmm. um but now we're screaming for like we want v9 now and i I don't get that the only thing i liked v7 better for is for games like knobliner i think that v7 uh like by its very nature v7 made it so if you died like death mattered a lot because mm-hmm. every class only had so many lives so and... i like i 100% agree with you but at the same time like it, people feel like the rules have made it to where you can't design those games as well and i think yeah. that what it comes down to is that just put life counts on those games or something um, and, and develop like a small, like quote unquote quest rule set for that game that you're wanting to run. Just mm-hmm. don't, for, for me, like limiting what's in the rule book for that can be played. Like uh, in Crystal and Chronicles, they made it so that um, Golem couldn't be used. It was because of the spawn mechanic with it. And that wasn't like Golem's broken or something like that. It was just simply because they wanted people to go to a certain spot to spawn. Um, yeah. So they took oh. it out. I don't like when that happens. So when you design these things like Knoblander or something like that, and you want life counts and you want things to matter like that, just don't monkey with the, the already there rules, you know? Yeah. Um, a big thing that you'd have to do to make something like Knoblander work, you'd have to change the mechanics to resurrect. Either have it so <laughs> resurrect doesn't exist, or you can only greater resurrect somebody. So, um, 
Yeah. I was on the team that Michael put together to try to create a V8 version of Noblander. And our mm-hmm. answer to resurrect was that you um, had a max number of resurrects that you could get and they couldn't be put on refresh uh, or they couldn't be put on recharge. Um, yeah. We also put hard limits on gummies and uh, greater undead minions and undead minions um, so that there was an overall still there was a pool that you had of lives and it could be slightly added to with resurrect because that was the big thing for v7 v7.5 and uh i think novelator was also one or two times in six i might be wrong um there was a yeah yeah there's a very limited additive of if you played healer you got three extra lives for your team essentially and if you played uh a three or five extra lives whatever it is and if you played paladin you also added another two so yeah to make like the ultimate team of survivalists, you had your life pool plus like 30. It wasn't our infinite mm-hmm. cycle of things that we had this time. So we were trying to replicate give, that. Yeah. yeah. Try to give that similar aspect. And our, our main goal was like Teflon said to not mess with the rules at all. Leave them as are just limit the things that break what we want to, to play with. Yeah. Um, it's tricky. It's hard. We, kind of gave up on it because we ran into some other issues of like uh making sure people only use equipment that they purchased and making sure uh safety wise and we really fell apart on a site that would let us fight 24 7 that's uh that's hard they don't mm-hmm. like it <laughs> <laughs> well yeah one thing i'll say about Noblander style games and i've been kind of like preaching this for a while on Noblander style games is that we say we want 24 hour games, but like every Noblander I was I ever been to, people wanted to punch each other in the face by like 5 a.m. <laughs> and the it, like the the autocrats would call it and say, "Okay, everyone go to bed, and we'll continue this tomorrow morning." That like happened more often than not, especially between competitive teams, just because it would just go on too long. Mm-hmm. So I think. Everyone wants twenty four seven, but they don't actually want twenty four seven. They want, you know, they want a good all night battle game that lasts until two a.m. and then they want to go to sleep. <laughs> I, I think I honestly think the answer to that is that like um, you have a, a ten hour block that is the quote unquote sleeping yep. block, but uh, for those who want night fighting, you have a, a a night quest type thing of some sort where it's not the full game but it can affect tomorrow's game or something like that oh yeah yeah. Still plays. yeah that way you don't like create this uh, kind of toxic atmosphere of having to stay awake you know too long and stuff like that yeah. too it's interesting we'll see what comes up in the future and if if we can pull off an event similar to that um all right we're gonna finish up because we're almost on oh, we're on like two hours and 40 minutes um <laughs> Uh, our last question is leveling slowly important and this is more of an opinion question and kind of like a learning question that I have had a lot of people not like our answer like my answer for it is leveling slowly is important for learning once you learn most of the mechanics of the game it doesn't really matter like you pick up most classes in a week or something but learning that first time it takes almost that full year yeah i i would 
I would agree with you. Most of my classes that are like I'm level six in every class, but most of those classes were because we were very lax on the you have to play the class to get it to get a credit in the class <laughs> uh, rule. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> like, but I'm I'm kind of a personality, and not to brag, but I can but I can take a class that I've never played before, but I know the theory because I've seen other people play it and I've talked shop with them that okay i'm going to play bar for the first time i'm just going to take a bunch of balls and use them and i'm going to be be pretty good at it and just because i've played i've pretty much done um most aspects of amp card except for bow shooting i've never been like a hardcore bow shooter um i don't think leveling slowly is all that important to be honest because mm-hmm. the leveling slowly is kind of a keeping someone stuck in a class that they potentially don't like or keeping them from playing multiple classes at a high level. Cause uh, let's be honest, like every kingdom event, at least in winter's eds now, and it seems like to be a kind of general amp guard thing. Yeah. Everyone's playing six level anyway, mm-hmm. whether they're, uh, whether they're, they're the, the uh, event themselves has said, Hey, for balancing reasons, we're going to just make everyone six level. So, you know, go at it. I think that like, you can do one week per level and that kind of, or maybe even two weeks per level and be done with it. Mm -hmm. Um, That way there is still some learning growth aspect to it. But uh, in all honesty, like, you know, everyone complains about the grind for uh, world of Warcraft or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, The whole idea of instant gratification um, is damaging for some reason. And I don't really think it is. I think that, um, a very quick growth will, uh, well, a semi-quick growth will do enough to feel achievement. Whenever we're talking about the average amp garter being in the game for three years, that's like three classes maxed if they're going every week or something like that and, mm. and not going to an event or something along those lines. I think that's kind of a disservice to our players because then they feel like they can't play uh, to the best of their abilities and things like that. Because you can take someone who's fairly smart and show them like casual saying uh whatever and talk shop with them and stuff like that show them lists and they can pick it up and if they just can't use those lists they get bored and don't want to play that class anymore and just continue to play the one class they already had leveled so i think that it's really kind of detrimental to us for that so if we have that data now because we didn't have that data before about the three-year the average amp garter is in for three years if they're in longer they're in for life um if they're gonna drop out three years is about their mark if that's our idea for an average amp garter we can now build around that better potentially and be like how many classes do we want an average amp garter to have access to the full thing and if we're like we want them to have access to all what is it 12 well not including pilot and right yeah so i mean then we'd have to build that around that schedule it's also um it's an interesting query that happens somewhere around year one or two or i guess with some maturities um i recently had a player come to me and be like i was mad because uh our king gave everyone that ran an event 15 credits and then turned around two weeks later and gave anyone that signed up also 15 credits and they were like well that was my only reward and to me as a as i'm gonna say vet i've only been in for five years but like i don't care about credits anymore they don't do anything long term yeah they sit there you get to your ending of the class and now you can play level six at park level that's it at a kingdom level mm-hmm. i don't you can do whatever you want nobody cares because yeah balance wise 
you playing level one or two doesn't help you. It's no fun for you at an event right. like that, right? It and, realistically isn't. Yeah. And the only reason I see for slowly leveling, even like if your first class is slowly leveled, it's so that you learn the mechanics of the game. You're not literally week two shoved 40 spells and been like, all right, learn these. And then just sent off on your merry way. That could, could be a problem, but everybody adapts differently and everybody learns differently. So we've got to, if we, if we level quickly and we're talking about magic classes and getting spell points too quickly and stuff, mm-hmm. you can just dump them into the same magic point or magic, uh, uh, magics that you've already learned. Right. And then add one or two new ones every week, depending upon your level. I think that, um, it's kind of a on you kind of aspect if we do a faster leveling system to learn more about your class. And I think that's fine. Like, I really think that the self-actualization and uh, self-push to learn the class better, um, along with the amazing resources that we have available nowadays about how to play a class better and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, it's just going to quicken people's paces on how well they play the game. Right. It also raised the bar on what Paragon means, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we talked about that on the the Paladin one. Like, if we make everyone a level six in six weeks or ten weeks or something like that, uh, the difference between a level six and a Paragon is going to be really different because you're going to have mm-hmm. that person that just learned all their abilities, and then you're going to have the Paragon that's like, I know all of my spells backwards. And yep. That, <laughs> I, and I'm perfectly fine with it. I think that's honestly a really good way to, to do it. But again, like that's just my kind of a opinion that I, I don't feel that levels are that important. Mm-hmm. Uh, level tests. I don't think we've ever done level tests in Winter's Edge. So, I uh, or if we have kingdom that does currently. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I like what I like from level tests isn't so much of the level itself. It should just be the states of the game. And that's really about it. <laughs> there, there's some, uh, there's some people out there that holy crap, like they find the kingdoms that hand out, like that were handing out the large numbers of credits, like the 32 credits. They f- like, I don't really care about that. That sounds kind of cool to me. But they found it super offensive. Like I remember talking to it uh, with a group of people in Dragonspine, and most of the people there were, were you know, didn't they were like, wow, that's pretty cool. And there's like this one old knight that was like, they need to take away that kingdom's kingdom status. And it's like, what is your problem, dude? <laughs> oh, that's a lot of hate. For no good yeah. reason, really. Like, credits don't uh-huh. matter. I mean, if they were oh, handing out like free orders of something, I'd be mad then. But like, yeah, credits are, are just your time in the game. And it's different depending on where you go or how much you participate. I think we don't use bonus credits enough. Like you did oh, a gate duty. Oh, that's cool. You got two extra bonus credits. Good job, buddy. You can go to get whatever level faster. Like right. using it as a reward is another good option you could be doing with it. Yeah, it's it's they don't mean much overall. The people that are really gonna be good at their class are going to be good at their class anyways, regardless of what level they're at. They're gonna find a way to be better. And, and to a certain degree, regardless of what time frame that they've been in yeah. the game, like if someone who's just a really smart person and semi-physical comes in, you could probably give them a six level class. Uh, like we'll just use casters for, for the example, a six level mm-hmm. caster sheet and be like, hey, man, this is the meta list. Um, you, you got any questions about why you would use any of these spells? Yeah, this one, this one and this one. All right, cool. Now go get it into practice. And it's just going to take them probably a couple weeks to kind of understand when, when to use certain spells and stuff. Yeah. And it's going to probably take them a, a couple months, realistically, to get a better understanding of 
uh, objectives versus just when to use it and things like that. So, like, it's not going to take a very long learning curve, I don't feel like. No, if you're really oh. going to do it, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I've shown newbies like, you know, this is like a meta spell list that's that's used for this. And they're like, why do you take ice ball? You can't kill someone with ice ball. All it does is, you know, all it does is freeze them in place for 60 seconds. And it's like, are you kidding? <laughs> but, yeah. that, but, but you don't say, are you kidding? You say, well, this is why that's that's good. Most games are objective based games. And even if they weren't objective based games, if they were kill based games, if I'm if I'm fighting. Um, my three people against their three people, and I freeze one of them. Now it's three versus two. If I freeze another one, now it's three v one. So, and because ice ball and stuff like that, even when we were, were running neutral annihilation games exclusively, spells like ice ball and entangle mm-hmm. were, they were just they, as important. Yeah, they just. were just as just as important. Yeah, I mean, so we found catch and release, or we started heavily using it as a kingdom like two years ago, and catch and release flipped what it meant to be a caster because you just had release on your list and you're just like i ice ball you i'll go kill somebody else and then come back to you and murder you because i can release you and stab you in the back 30 times before you can turn around and it was like it was mind-blowing for a bunch of us it was really fun to travel other kingdoms and then we're like ice ball okay wait till minute or wait till like 58 seconds and then stab them <laughs> yeah so V seven flame blade. This is what this is one of the, <laughs> this is one of the things. thing where it mixed with ice ball and you could freeze no. a person and then cut through it. Oh, you could cut through it. Yeah, oh hitting God. somebody with with flame blade could which was an enchantment, so you had infinite uses of it. You you yourself who are wielding the flame blade were immune to ice ball, but you could also free other people from ice ball. That meant your team was immune to ice ball, and it also meant ice oh. ball was a kill spell. When I when I talked about like one of those people who uh, you hand enchantments to and they get a lot of mileage out out of them, um, one of my good friends and one of my favorite people to battle game with, his name is uh, his real name is Noah Way, his amp guard name is Folius, and I remember there was an event that him and I got probably kills in the triple digits just within with, it was Entangle, which in V seven functioned exactly like Ice Ball and Flame Blade. That's so <laughs> bad. <laughs> It yeah. was it was ridiculous. Oh God! And that was when Druid, for for a lot of people, was considered to be one of the least powerful caster classes. Never, I do not know never why. Because because <laughs> it's like, oh well, Wizard has Fireball. Yeah, I can entangle somebody by hitting their shield, and then my buddy will kill them with a flame blade. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's that, and then like we had call lightning and finger of death, so uh-huh. we could literally choose like two people and be like you know what those guys are always really powerful so i'm going to make sure they don't get to play today and Mm -hmm. then you know what my you know i have petrify as well so after that i you know blow the finger to death call it calling those were straight up death spells back then and i guess still are now um but uh they died so there were death spells in an era where death really really mattered like i killed you with this 50 foot point and click it like it that was one of your four lives and mm-hmm. if, and and i that... had four of them so i made sure you didn't play anymore and then mm-hmm. i had call lightning so i made sure your buddy didn't play anymore and then i had petrify so i made sure whatever guy i hit didn't play that round and so like it, 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 yeah, was, it was one of the most busted glasses in a, in a time frame where lives mattered so much i feel like so like i don't i've never yeah. understood why people said druid was one of the worst classes yeah, you you take finger of death, you take finger of death, and you you just murder their healer. So th- and without their healer, they had like 
very little offense against uh, against magic and, and stuff like that. And then you would join your the, the line and start just petrifying and entangling people. And you just had so much reusable offense and so much the one time only, but that would really screw over the other team offense. <laughs> wow. I led V7. <laughs> we're, fa- we're faster. About yeah, right. God, they, like every time I hear about something that V7 did, I'm just like, why was that a thing? There's no fun involved. <laughs> like one person's having fun and these 10 people are dying on the side of the field. Like, well, I put on six points of armor for no good reason today. See, I really <laughs> wish that we had the same data of like how long an average amp guard lasted in V6 or V7. Because then I'm really curious about how much the life count rules potentially had to do with that, right? Like, you know, we look at it now as like a game design and we're like, oh, no, that was awful. But, you know, my some of my favorite moments in battle games and stuff came from V6 and V7, you know. so And, you know, maybe that's something to look into later on. I don't know. I don't I don't personally feel like that that live should come back, but maybe it's something we need to look at a little bit. You know, I mean, so. In life pool games, it definitely changes a lot of tactics, and it, it becomes interesting. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. It becomes interesting in the way people play, because they definitely care more about not dying. Right. But the five-minute death counter that was attached to death <laughs> is, like, the thing that breaks my mind every moment. Like, hold on. You stayed at your first park day after getting to play for 15 minutes total out of an entire park day because you were dead for 90 what now uh, now it wasn't it wasn't that much usually what would happen is uh there would be a round of a battle game where most people were dead and then we'd have a speed count so you wouldn't count everyone came alive who was dead we just go for it to there there was half count games at least in my area that's what we did some of the times too Um, yeah i just i could i could fully see why ditch became the really popular thing (laughs) during during v7 because it was Oh, I died. I wait forty-five seconds, and the rest of the people on my team die. We get a new player, and we continue. Like now, now the Midwest, no matter what, in V seven and V eight, was always very battle game heavy. Yeah, there was a ditch, and it was popular, but battle games were the place to go. And I remember going to a clan once, and it was like none of the casters knew any of their spells. And like looking at a battle game, it looked like a giant train wreck. And I like was. <laughs> playing in a game and I remember trying to get to a game item and I awed somebody away from the game item and he's like, I don't have to move away. That's not what the spell says. And it's like, what? And that was pretty much it. Like the same people like didn't know the rules. So I'm like, screw this. I'm going to go ditch. I'm like, that's why it happens. That's where it comes from. Right. Yeah. I think that is a big, our game is a lot easier now. Like, holy crap. We See, that's the thing. A like, lot of stuff. I agree that it's easier, but when I talk to some of the the older players uh, in my area, like especially RV, because we're we, you know, I'm what is it? I started in two thousand six or seven. I think it's seven. Um, and you know, some people who started with uh, within like two or three years of me, uh, they're all like, oh, I don't want to read a new rule book. I don't want to learn new rules and things like this. And I'm like guys it's easier man like all these things have keywords uh you should all these all these states are the same throughout it so like if you get ice balled you're 
that's frozen. If you get something else that's frozen, it's still the same thing. And mm -hmm. all the counts are the same. If you get hit by a spell ball, it's 60 seconds. If you get hit by a verbal, it's 30 seconds, except for break concentration. But, you know, like, there's a couple little things here and there. Mm -hmm. So, like, everything's 20 feet. We don't longer have to remember, you know, what spell is 50 feet, except for one or two, like pyrotechnics, I think, is naturally 50 or something like that. But, you know, most things don't have follow a much more programmed level and I think that's really good yeah but uh, I'm going to hop off yeah uh, hey, we, we were hit. almost at three hours yeah. alright so we're getting close here <laughs> I'm going to have to put a little break at like uh, this is the hours. battle game theory section. This so if is, you don't yeah. care about that, go on to here where there's more druid stuff specifically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's been great. This has been fantastic. Uh, this will take me a little bit to get up because it's a lot of video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. But thank you for sticking with us. If you have, uh, if you didn't stick with us the entire time, I apologize for this going almost three hours. <laughs> Way over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We started talking and things happened, and that's the problem. We talk. Yeah. Um, Yep. Uh, but our next episode is in two weeks. It'll be live. It'll be Paragon Warriors. We've got like five panelists, I think. I'm not 100% sure. I don't remember. Um, there's a lot of Paragon Warriors around here. So we will have that next week, and uh, Virtual John will roll us out. This has been another episode of The Paragon Path. If you liked what you heard or saw, please drop us a like and follow on YouTube or Spotify or Google Music or anywhere else that you can find us. We have a Facebook page on the path that lets you know when we're recording, what you can join into, and what to expect next. We record these episodes live every other weekend on the Kingdom of Polaris Discord. Link is in the comments. If you'd like to learn more, please subscribe, comment, or just drop us a line. As always, happy to see you on the field. See you next time.